Hi, I'm Tim Crosby, and welcome to episode 22 of Down the Track. Sean Whip, you're back. Back, uh, back in frosty Melbourne. Frosty Melbourne. Um, great experience over there, I assume. We'll talk more about that later, but it uh, looks like you had a bit of fun. Yeah, yeah, no, it was um, probably the probably the best the trip could have gone, but um, yeah, some, some really good um, experiences and, and learning a lot about how things work um, on the other side of the pond, I guess. Yeah, we'll, we'll delve into that, some of those experiences a little bit later on, but uh, we've got another special guest, haven't we, Sean? We do. And the, this one, uh, very en- special. Enig- enigmatic guest. <laughs> the enigmatic Hamish Beaumont. Welcome, Hamish. Thank you, Tim. Excited to be here. Looking yeah. forward to uh, a long discussion of all things athletics. Well, yeah, we've brought you in primarily to do a bit of a XCR rap, but I think there's some really meaty stuff in this pe- podcast, and I think you'll have some very good views on those. So welcome, everyone, to episode 22. So, Sean, a multi-pronged attack for you over in Europe. You had uh, initially the, the World Uni Games in Naples, which Nick and I covered in the last episode, but yep. you then went on for another couple of meets, uh, which included the uh, Diamond League in London. Much yeah. must have been a big experience for both you and your athletes. Yeah, so I guess it was um, probably a, a mixed trip in the sense that I, I know my um, social media content didn't um, have too much variety in it with one athlete in particular, but did have some other athletes I was helping out over there, some who, you know, um, got injured over there, which was disappointing, and others who, you know, um, had some really good runs off the plane. So post, um, post-World post Unis, um, for example, Katrina Bissett um, has a connection with the University of Sydney and um, bases herself in a house they have over there, or they, they rent one, um, which I think is a really good idea. Um, you know, Brussels and Leuven themselves in Belgium are quite popular for Australians. Um, everyone's probably seen the the infamous egg track um, in Leuven on um, on social media. Um, but the, there's actually three, almost four tracks in, in that sort of vicinity. So there's, there's a lot of options there and, and a lot of really nice forests and a lot of trails and things like that. So for distance runners in, in particular, it's, it's fantastic. Um, and there's really easy access with the Belgians and their unis and stuff, the gyms and um, physio and, and all the things you'd need. So I think that's definitely a spot where, you know, there could be some investment. As a rookie manager though, what were the learnings for you out of this trip? Um, oh, I, I think the biggest thing is, yeah, just go, trying to go over there with a really open mind and, and understand that you definitely don't know um, a lot at all. Um, is it really the connections you've now got to form? That, that's the, the critical part? Yeah, I, I think um, everyone that's sort of ever tried to be involved in that industry or, or is involved in that industry would agree that it's very much a relationships game. Um, and that very much differs or, or alters how athletes um, you know, move through different meets or countries. Uh, but yeah, met some really fantastic people in Belgium and Sweden um, and the UK. So those are sorts of things that, you know, if you can mix that with an athlete or two or three having some success, um, you look to build upon that in, in coming years. Well, some of the, the feedback I've sort of heard is that uh, there's, I suppose, a level of excitement that Australia now has another manager and someone else <laughs> who can and help people through that pathway so that we're not just bound, you know, in one direction. Yeah, I, I hope so. I think um, you know we've we've obviously had some um, some very competent people over the last few decades, and and yeah, there maybe has been um, a pretty clear divide in whether you stay in Australia or you seek overseas representation. And we're also seeing more of that as well with a lot of our collegiate sort of superstars picking up um, US or UK um, representation. And I think a lot of that is really just um, where you can align yourself with a budget. You know, if Australia versus the US versus the UK, it, it, it differs a lot. 
Um, and, you know, definitely, I think those those US, you know, your Morgan McDonald's and your, your Jess Hulls are, are definitely making the best decisions um, for their careers, really. Like, it's a, it's a job for them. Um, Correct. Let's go back to Naples, though. Just, mm. you know, give us a, a bit of a summary of your experience and what you <laughs> saw. And, you know, we've had some great talks about it, but uh, like any major championship, there was some fantastic aspects, but there's also some, some probably negatives to the way the whole thing was run and, yeah, you know, I, and also climatic conditions. Yeah, I'd just say um, when, you know, in, in seeing when Naples got awarded the event, it was always thought to be an interesting choice in the sense that they're, um, it's a pretty industrial um, city. Who actually makes that choice? Is that IAAF? I or believe or it's FISU. FISU, okay. So Which is like the, the university. Yeah. yeah, the university governing body. Because, you know, as we know, IAAF aren't renowned for making necessary <laughs> great calls on those. Well, it was interesting because the IAAF did have sort of like signage and I think they had input in terms of officiating and they're stuff. They're probably a part of the event. Yeah, yeah, I think they're part of it. Um, yeah. But... Uh, it's, it's, it's just an odd place in Italy to select in the sense that it's a place that is, you know, sort of renowned for the basically the shipping that they have and, and how much of a part they play in the Italian economy for, um, you know, delivery of goods from Asia and, and other parts of Europe. So you get there and it's like, it's very hot. Um, you know, every day the sun would come up at sort of 5.30. Um, you know, if you thought you were trying to be useful and get up and go for a run at, you know, 6, 6.30... It'd already be 24 to 26 degrees and about 80% to 90% humidity. Um, and I think the humidity was the biggest thing. It was just, it was so hard for a lot of the athletes to, you know, you, your warm up was sort of multi tiered in terms of whether you went to a venue or whether you had, you know, multiple call rooms. Um, and it was just so hard for a lot of athletes to stay cool. Um, and I think we saw a lot of that in longer distance events as well. Um, and I think that's that's a pretty big learning experience for people all the way from, you know, 400 meters through to the 10,000 meter guys and girls just because. You, you, know, you didn't even really need to warm up. Like you'd walk around for 10 minutes outside and you'd be sweating head to toe. Um, and for the athletes as well, you know, they were, they were housed on a, on a boat. So. I heard that wasn't necessarily ideal. There was some cases of dehydration and not looking after themselves probably because it felt like more of a resort than it did an athlete village. Yeah, and it, it, it definitely looked like that initially. And I think because the athletes got there kind of early, um, yeah, there definitely would have been the temptation. You know, you're on a, a cruise ship. Like, it's, there were pools and plenty of activities and stuff to do. So, I guess it is a balance for younger athletes as well. You know, World Unis is seen as a bit of a stepping stone in terms of a major. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll bring Hamish in on that one too. Hamish, you know, being pretty heavily involved in the university scene in Australia, you know, where does Melbourne Uni see this competition now and, and what's the focus for, you know, your organisation or, you know, with the support structure you have with athletes? How important now is this university art for them? It's incredibly important. The uh, the university takes great pride in athletes making international teams, and this is a team that is seen very strongly as a stepping stone. A great example is so at the f- one of the very early university arts. Ralph Dibel won the eight hundred in nineteen sixty seven, the year before winning the gold medal in sixty eight in Mexico City, and you know that's very much seen as a a bit of a model that this is the the test for athletes to see how they cope in a village. Um, in the cruise ship case, it, originally the plan for Naples was they were going to build a village. They were, they were actually going to have an athlete village and the, the funding and the planning for that didn't come through in time, which is why they ended up on cruise ships. But that's the, that's the plan for athletes is that they should get used to running rounds, being in a village, have the whole multi-sport games experience and the university sees real value in that. And it enables sort of athletes who might not make a world champs team to still represent their country 
and you know, in a sense, represent the university as well. There was some uh, work to do to make sure that universities were recognised because universities, I think, increasingly are... Well, they're a support network. Yeah, yeah, and, and a massive a massive support network. Um, our good friends, uh, Sydney Uni, with whom we share Katrina, um, have put... You're not sharing Katrina, are you? Can <laughs> we recognise I've that. never seen that, I think. <laughs> well done, uh, it's a, a bit uh, of sharing and caring between that, the unions. They're our, they're our very, very good friends. Um, they've put more than a million dollars into direct athlete support mm. in, 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 the, in the current era and... Gee, that, should, that, that shouldn't be underestimated given that... Well, well it's, it's not. That's, the, that's yeah. the biggest thing. It's not yeah. so much that they have... Uh, like, that thing, they, don't, they don't own a house in Belgium. They rent a like, six-storey... Mm. It's, a, it's a very vertical house, actually. It's quite mm. amusing. Um, but uh, the athletes don't pay. So, it's... You know, <laughs> I guess it's hard to make that comparison, but it's like you have a lot of other athletes who aren't in that position or don't have an affiliation with that university and thus are paying the whole time they're over there for accommodation. Like, I think... You know, there's, cheap. there's just this perspective... Yeah, unless your backpacking is $100 a yeah. night. Yeah, yeah, there's just this perspective that athletes go over to comps in Europe and it's it's all covered and it's all yeah. sorted. And it's like, yeah, there's a very small number of people that do that, but that's like you're looking at maybe 10 people max. Mm. And Sydney University work incredibly hard at that. They've, mm. It's the third year they've done it now and they do a lot of fundraising from oh, yeah. their alumni yeah. to make it happen. And... You know, that's the leverage you can get from being involved with sport at universities and, you know, we shouldn't underestimate that, that level of support, you know. Well, and I think FLX Australia would probably be quite grateful for the, to them for that as well. <laughs> oh, definitely, because to use Katrina as an example again, the support she's got from Sydney University and Melbourne University is far greater than any sh- support she's got from Athletics Australia. Yep. And she's now the national record holder. Let's go on to that. Let's get on the bandwagon for Katrina. Oh, I think we've been on the bandwagon. This oh, yeah. no, look, I, I think uh, the three people sitting around this table have been on the bandwagon for a while now. <laughs> oh, well, uh, certainly. Uh, well, she is still known as the Victorian Miles Club product, but uh, yeah. we'll move on from that. Yeah. Whippy, just summarise um, Cat Bissett's campaign in Europe. Um, yeah, and I, I've got to stress the impact having somewhere like, uh, like, like a house in Brussels is immense because... One of the hardest things with World Unis was that they had a week-long program, but the women's 800s and men's were day-day-day. So you had a heat, a semi, and a final, some within less than 24 hours in each other. And that's something that a lot of athletes aren't used to doing. Um, And, you know, just having that mindset of it being very hot and having to get out to the stadium every day. The stadium did take sort of anywhere from half an hour um, to 45 minutes to get out to. Um, You had to go through this sort of rigmarole of various call rooms. um, And just that thing of, you know, when you prep for a national championship, you know, you've probably got a hotel room or a relative's house or your house that you're staying at, depending on where you're from. It's all very comfortable. You've got all the food you want to eat. You've got all the people around you that, you know, you're used to. There's just a lot of... Everything's new. Like, there's a lot of change in, you know, European races and and you just have to learn to deal with it, I think. But that's very hard for some athletes. Some athletes don't cope well at all with, you know, you can't have this food. You're not going to be able to do this in your warm-up. You know, it's a tennis court for a warm-up. You know, those sorts of small things that you think, oh, that's not such a big deal. Massive deal, especially when the fields themselves are better. So, anyway, I guess getting through to the final, you know, Katrina had qualified fastest through the heat and the semi and won the heat and semi. Um, but, you know, there were, there were very, like, there was a German Olympian in the final that was a sub-two-minute athlete and Dorcas Ajok had medalled it. 
um, the previous World University Yards in the eight and the fifteen was from uh, the, the lady from Uganda. Um, and yeah, like Katrina didn't didn't get to lead, um, which I think she was kind of keen on for the final. Um, and yeah, Ajok just held her out through two hundred and sort of stuck her on the outside of lane one. Um, and that was pretty much the case through to six hundred. And then Ajok threw a pretty big elbow um, and sort of bumped Katrina out to lane two and a bit. Um, and yeah, that's something that's never happened to her. And it was cool to see her sort of. <coughs> yeah, exactly right. Now, the racing experience in Europe, she's got to get used to that. But obviously, yeah. coped all right. Had the, yeah, I, the I think mental capacity to think, oh, okay, well, you know, I'll yeah, take like that and keep going. Everyone had mentioned that that was a possibility and that yeah. people weren't going to be. You know, I feel like there's this thing in Australia where <coughs> people just kind of let you in. It's like, oh, yeah, if you want the third spot or the second spot or you want to sit there, yeah, go for it. Whereas I, I'll, a little story, I'll just cut in with a little story here. My very <laughs> first ever 800 metre race, racing AV, um, curved line start for the 800 Trevor Vincent next to me and within 20 metres Trevor had given me the biggest elbow in the guts I've ever had it was a ripper so well, that yeah, was welcome to Athletic Sun definitely a, definitely a contact sport over there um, but yeah got the, got the win and held everyone off really well down the straight and that's great but um, you know another element of being an up and coming athlete is you often don't have races confirmed a very long way out so yeah. basically the next race that Katrina had confirmed was in Varberg in Sweden um, so sort of the the next day, travelled up to the airport, um, flew over there, and, and and that was fantastic. So that's part of a sort of five mate series in Sweden. Um, and so the treatment of her there was pretty good. It was unreal. Yeah. yeah. So you stay in you know four and a half star hotel. You've got transfers transfers to and from the airport. Does that um, include manager? Yeah, yeah. I got to stay at the hotel, which was quite nice. Um, and yeah, it was roomed. Oh, it was interesting. I was roomed with a uh, Finnish high jump coach. Um, and often at these meets, they say, oh, look, you're, you're going to have to share, which is fine. You know, you're getting free accommodation. You're not going to complain. But you walk in and there's literally a, there's a crease in, in the bed. Um, and it's, it's, it's a single bed with a big crease in the middle. Well, no, sorry. It's a double bed with a crease in the middle. And I had a, a 50-something-year-old Finnish high jump coach where I walked into the room and he was just sitting there in his shorts and was like, oh, hi, how are you going? And yeah, I just had to try not to cuddle up too much to him <laughs> during the evening. And um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting sleeping situation, but, you know, you think, oh, okay, this is normal. Um, I think, yeah. Just the hope he didn't snore. No, oh, that was the problem. It was, yeah, it was like having a, a, a you know, a foghorn next to you. So, oh. I didn't, I didn't get that much didn't sleep. Didn't sleep too he, well. He seemed very chipper, so he was a lovely guy. But um, very well. That's, yeah, the quirks of Europe. But, um, but, no, then, yeah. but then on to London, though. And London, yeah. But just explain a little bit. You, London was not confirmed until fairly late. Uh, no. So, uh, I, I guess there's... A, sort of established uh, method of getting yourself into races over in Europe and, and you know, different mates, um, I guess to put it um, politely, have different people who um, have decisions to make around who gets into various fields. And, you know, it's, it's very much a case of, you know, if you can speak to someone who is friendly with someone else, um, often that will influence your chances um, more positively. Um, obviously, winning the World University Games yep. helped Katrina a lot. Um, Was that the critical factor? Had she not got that, it, she might not have lined up at... I, I don't know. Um, I think it, it would be hard to say there was one golden variable, but I think that plus beating Larissa Lind in, in Sweden, who's a 158 runner, um, was, was a very good sort of tick box yep. um, scenario. Um, and then it was just invaluable to be able for her to spend time in Brussels and get physio and, you know, have downtime and be surrounded by people she knew and get a track session and stuff very much. I think if she hadn't had that, she had to stay in a you know, random hotel or something for another couple of days, I don't think she would have been as, as sort of fresh going in. All right, so we've got her into London. Yep. What was the plan? Was the plan to break the record and have a go or was the plan just to race and see what happened? No, I, I think you had to be realistic that she'd run a lot of 800s in, in the last sort of 
uh, eight days, pretty much, um, and that the one in Sweden was really difficult. Um, she ran two flat 44 in Sweden, but... Second was, fastest time. Yeah, yeah, second fastest time at the time, but was challenged by Lind for the length of the straight, and Lind actually sort of went past her for a step or two, and then she sort of fought back and got it, and she was like, she was cooked afterwards. She was mm. really tired. Um, and then heading into London, like we knew the pace was going to be 57 flat, um, which made sense because Natoya Gould was in the field and she's run by 56. So, um, you know, herself and Lindsay Sharp were coming off Monaco. So obviously wanted to run quick and for Sharp, it's the closest thing to a home um, mm. diamond league. It's in the Olympic Stadium, etc. cetera. Um, but I, I don't know. I just think it's really dangerous to try and put a time on an event like that. And especially in the sense that in women's di- diamond league, 800, to be fair, it wasn't a diamond league event, but it was on the program. Um, in women's 800s at that level, it's usually a pretty fast first 200, a relatively even next 400, and then you either fade or pick up half second to second in the last 200. So it, I think it's more, uh, you know, Peter Fortune, Katrina's coach, was pretty open in telling her that it needed to be more of an even run and that she'd have to pick whatever move she was going to make a lot later um, because, you know, it's tempting if you feel great and you split 128 or 127 high to go at 200. You know, yeah, in Australia, you yeah. might do that. Yep. Um, but... You know, when you're surrounded by people that can all deal with that move quite well, it, it's pretty daft. Um, so, yeah, as sort of everyone saw in the race, I guess, um, yeah, she went to make a move at maybe 130, 120. Um, and Lindsay Sharp sort of joked after the race that she looked over her shoulder and saw that Katrina was still there and thought, oh, okay, I'd better get going. Um, and, yeah, Natoya Gould faded pretty hard um, from the inside of lane one going up the home straight, which meant that Sharp had to move wide quite quickly um, and sort of bumped Katrina out a little bit. And that's just sort of how it works. But... I think in having Sharp for that last 100 metres, it was, it was very much a good carrot to chase sort of down the straight. No doubt about that. So, well, congratulations to Katrina Bissett. So, breaking the 43-year-old record. Um, it got a bit of press back here. Probably not as much as you'd hope, though, Hamish. Would you, is that your perception here? The mainstream really didn't pick it up. We've got a few articles in well, papers, but... <laughs> yeah, like there, was a, there was a Salvato piece and there was a little bit else, but... Um, yeah, we're more to in, yeah, in uh, in comparison to the year before when Dean broke Dubell's record, I, th- I think there was uh, noticeably less coverage. You know, um, Katrina's back in Australia now, so I think there'll be more coverage now. But yeah, you know, definitely it was noted that there was less coverage, and and I'd agree. I've had this conversation with Sean that that the. Dang's story is a very good story. Yeah. Well, that's right. There's rubber elements, but there's yeah. also rubber elements to Cat's yeah, story yeah, as well. Undoubtedly. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, hopefully hopefully the coverage comes. I, I do think it will come. I, I think she's very close to being sort of lodged in the public's mind the way athletes luck into, the way someone like a Riley Day did mm. post-Nitro, that, that people just know who they are. You know, they might not know anything about their results, but because of the story, they know who they are. And I think Katrina's close to that now. She's not there yet, but I, I do think that's... If you look at uh, sort of in a publicity sense, I don't think that's far off. Uh, yeah, I think the hard thing there as well is that the plan heading over to Europe was that there was like another backup race, basically, if, if nothing popped up in that London window. Um, there was another race available in in, um, in Belgium, in, in Merksem, um, but obviously that wasn't required. Um, so I guess so. After London, is, it was to pack up. Yeah, part of that is having back. having the athlete in Australia does make it a little bit easier for for media, and we should see more of that over the next right. week. Great, that's good to know. And then obviously now it's heading towards August. Uh, we've got the World Champs coming up in a couple of months, and it's all all systems go now. Yeah. 
Excellent. All right. Let's have a look at um, London in a little bit more detail. Mm. Five world leads, eight national records, three area records and five meet records. Just an average old diamond league really, wasn't it? <laughs> um, and a big shout out to a very big season's best from Linden Hall. Um, I think. Yeah, well, let's talk Linden. I think that's let's lead off. Well, because it, it, it was, was all doom and gloom, wasn't it? After pretty fun time. That's yeah. the thing that makes me laugh about um, anyone who's involved in athletics that sort of seemed to feel the need to remind Linden that she didn't run very well. It's like, <laughs> it's like I think you know, being an Olympic semi finalist and being a dual national record holder, she was aware that four twenty four was not great at pre and yeah. didn't like. I think she knew she wasn't in excellent shape going into that, but people have got to understand that it's also like a contractual obligation to run Prefontaine for her. So, you know, you go over there, you front up, and I think she thought she could churn churn out maybe you know a four ten or something and yeah. sort of hang on. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. But you know, heading into London, she had suggested that she'd done a, a series of workouts that had her thinking she was in much better shape. Um, and, you know, she was making moves in the last 500. You know, she, while she said she only closed in 62 seconds, um, you know, the race really suited her. It started out a little bit slow. Um, you know, Laura Muir closed in 57 and a half, which could, I don't know, there was some suggestion that that might have been one of the fastest last laps in a sub-four run sort of ever. Um, and, yeah, I, I think it was really the perfect race for her. And it was just cool to see her very relieved um, and also excited after that because that sort of, uh, I think it balanced out her season a lot and, you know, put her back where she thought she needed well, to be. Well, it puts a second on the Australian list for this year, which isn't yeah. a bad spot to be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you compare her to the person that's first, um, you know, Jess Hull's had a flawless season almost correct. other than a one yeah. loss at NCAA's. Um, to yeah, and it has rolled through beautifully to this end of the year, whereas Lyndon's doing the pick-up from yeah, yeah, and, being and that's, injured. that's different for everyone and yeah. I think that'll be different for... Jessica as well in how she manages getting through to Doha given she's been racing since mm. indoors in January sort of thing. And right, now it's a long know, she's season. in a new group as well with the Nike Oregon project and yeah, that's a, an immense change. Um, it says a lot about um, London though. You know, Linda's coming at 13th running 404. <laughs> she's you know, pretty happy with 13th, yeah. yeah exactly. Well, you are because it's all about the time and the season's best. Yeah, and I think we make that we made that comparison in Monaco with someone like Stewie and that he finished 7th, I think it was, 7th or 8th um, and ran 331. So, these are races where you very much just get on board and commit um, and see what happens. Yeah. And uh, interesting for a, a London field, often renowned for soft fields for British mm. stars. Clearly in that Laura Muir race, not true. Yeah, so Muir actually, she had been lined up against Faith Kipiagon, um, who pulled out sort of last minute with an injury issue. But, you know, they did very much stacked the field for her. Um, and the suggestion was that um, she's been very sort of... Um, or politely demanding of our meet promoters to, to target events in which she thinks she can break records in, which makes total sense, you know, for her to capitalise on sort of how fit she is at the moment. But um, in other parts of the meet, I guess, um, it was interesting because you've got a two-day format to be able to see heats of things as well. So lots more sprinters were able to be at the meet. Um, and, you know, there was a massive upset in the men's 200 um, in the sense that a gentleman that probably not a lot of people had heard of and only really, I think, had made about one Diamond League appearance um, through the year. I'll see if I can get his name right. Um, in Zhenye Zhi uh, from China, ran 1988. And that's a national record, was it? It was an area record, area. yeah. He hadn't run a PB since 2016. Um, so pretty enormous run and knocked off, you know, the types sort of like Nathan- Nathaniel Mitchell Blake, um, Alonzo Edward and, you know, Yuki Koike from um, Japan. So knocked off some enormous names um, and really sort of upset, I guess, the 200 status quo. But, you know, that, that was a highlight. You know, you had a a raft of guys, sort of five guys, um, sub 10 seconds in the in the 100 metres. So it, it, I guess the cool thing about being at one of those meets is that every event is exciting. So, yeah, Well, that's what you'd expect though. That's what you're paying the big bucks to go and watch for. True. Uh, let's talk the mile for the men, Ramsden. Mm. 
yeah, that is a that's a meteoric step forward for him. I know he'd sort of had that. I guess you know people talk about momentum in athletics, um, and he'd had a series of of really good runs and you know, knocks off um, Herb Elliott's state record. Yeah, uh, f- so three fifty three thirty two for Ramsden, three fifty four mm. fifty four for Gregson mm-hmm. in the same race. So what's that telling us now, Sean? Um, I don't know. I think it, you'd be remiss to count out where Gregson's at. I think. Uh, it's sort it of good, you know, 354, I'm not diminishing that at all, but, so um, run, but, but is it the fact that, you know, more and more guys are now getting ahead of Ryan? And I, I'd be I'd be hesitant to, to suggest the whole changing of the guard narrative. Um, right. I think he's still a guy with, you know, he's made an Olympic final. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard because people talk about that in almost an intangible sense, in the sense that, you know, you list his accolades and people say, oh, you know, that'll, that'll come in handy at some point or that'll, that'll matter at some point. And I think it does. I think he's a guy that's been in so many of these situations that, you know, whilst Ramsden sort of has this huge set of, um, you know, momentous occasions and that may build really well into Doha for him, um, you know, I think Gregson's always a guy that's going to be thereabouts or up the front um, in those races. Well, talking about up the front, Stu McSwain sort of leading the Australian <laughs> charge, isn't he, at the moment? The 5,000 metres there, 13.05.63. Yeah, and that was a race that could have been a lot quicker. Um, you know, that, that was a race that started almost a little bit slow. The, the athletes didn't really go with the pace and, you know, there was a lot of talk about sub-13 and da-da-da-da, but um, didn't really happen. And then Ingebrigtsen and Gebra Hewitt sort of seemed to have words at the front of the field and um, sort of took off with maybe three laps to go and it was an absolutely barnstorming last kilometre and you also had sort of the prodigious next young talent from Kenya Ronex Kipruto trying to push things along as well because he's more of a 10,000 metre guy hilariously Kipruto had actually never run a 5k on track pre that event and he ended up fading to 6th in 13.07 but not a bad debut I think the fastest debut ever is around the 13 minute mark we also had Tien at 13.12 and McDonald yeah. 13.18 so three sub 13.20s for the Australians it's well, a yeah, it's, pretty it's, good day out it's really three weird. in the top 10 it's really weird watching the race because you sort of see the first couple come over and then you see, you know, your McDonald's and your Tiernan's come across and you think, oh, I did, you know, did that go so well? And then you look at the clock and you go, oh, geez, okay, that's just, that's just sort of where the standard's at. Um, and I think, you know, speaking to both those guys after the event, they were both relatively happy. I think, yeah, they wanted more, but it's hard to, I think in those 5Ks, it's very simple to look at the results and go, oh, six, not very good. But the way the race played out probably, you know, it didn't really lead to what might have been the best outcome for those guys in terms of pacing and so on. So um, still pretty huge runs, I would debate. Certainly were. Now, Brooke Stratton got out, um, 6.64 in the, the long jump. In yeah, she had, a, fourth. she had a really um, encouraging series. Um, she actually competed at the same meters Katrina in Sweden um, and had had some um, food sort of problems. She's a celiac, like a mm-hmm. pretty serious celiac. Um, and yeah, had eaten the wrong thing, um, which is often tough with travel. Um, and jumped really poorly in Sweden and was a bit down, um, understandably. But yeah, to come back and have um, a series that was sort of between that 640 and 660-odd range, um, I think that's a huge confidence boost for her. Um, back now in Australia too, so must be doing final prep leading into Doha, Becky. I saw her up at Lake Wendell. Yeah, yeah, she said um, over there that she may um, pop back over to Europe for like another comp or so, um, but is someone I think that, you know, does enjoy being at home. Um, and obviously, you know, when you're coached by your, your dad and things like that, it is easier just having your whole sort of set up around you. Um, but yeah, so her series was 640, 46, um, 31, 64, 54 and 50. So she, and yep. into, into headwinds the whole time. So, yeah, so very consistent. Very consistent, yeah, yeah. good. Matt Denny had another, you know, reasonable performance in London as well, 63, 25. So he... 
yeah. continues to just roll along. It's not not his best for the year. I think he's been up around sixty five mark. Yeah, he threw. He was only a couple of centimeters off a of PB in Italy, um, but I think he sort of said it was a good throw to get out in in, a, in stadium settings in both of those because he has thrown really well in more open air. Um, conditions where the wind can sort of influence how the discus um, sort of flies through the air, um, but yeah, in, in stadiums where there's very little wind, um, yeah, he was he was quite happy with those throws, I believe. Let's take you back to the 800 though, because you know it's been all talk about cat. You know when you mm. break an Australian record, of course we're going to talk there about are a few other people in the race. Yeah, Morgan Mitchell <laughs> two zero 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 six just missing that sub two. So yeah. gee, you've got to think. <laughs> I, think, I think it's there. I don't, yeah. Oh, it's definitely there. There's yeah. no doubt. If you can run, you know, within six yeah. 100s, then... Um, it was really interesting talking to Liz Matthews, her coach, because I think Liz has sort of ummed and ahed as to whether, you know, Morgan's 400 background would predispose her to a faster first lap or a more even first lap. And a lot of Morgan's PBs so far had come off very even splits or slightly negative splits, which is, if anything, unconventional for a 400 runner moving up. You know, often they prefer a very fast first lap. So... With Morgan sort of committing um, in this sense and having a pack around her going through in sort of 58. That's the mid. difference, isn't it? Yeah, if oh, that, this so happens different. in Australia, yeah. then of course you're on your own, basically. Yeah, like Katrina had run similar splits at the Australian Uni Nationals and had gone through in sort of 127 high, 28 low, I think it was, but had obviously then popped and run sort of 31 high for yep. the last 200, whereas here, um, you know, it, it was slightly different. In, I don't know, we're only talking about a second or so, but you just have that sort of elastic band of having a lot of competitors around you and you don't have to think splits, you just think race just environment. Race, yeah. yeah, for Morgan, she said that as well, like coming up the home straight, she wasn't like, oh, I hope the time is X. It was like, oh, I'm surrounded by five or six women. I need to try and beat them. So, <laughs> no, that was brilliant. And it was it was fantastic sitting there and actually watching the times pop up because, mm-hmm. you know, obviously the, the girls saw it in the stadium live as we did effectively because the times took a little while on the board with the bunch finish. Um, yeah, they, they were stoked for each other, and um, Carly as well ran a, her first PB since um, Finland last year. Yeah, it's it's a good sign. So Carly Thomas two zero one zero one. So had to jump over someone at the finish line. So yeah, well that's <laughs> worth a bit too. So yeah. look, you've you've got a situation now here where the standard of women's eight hundred in Australia is yeah. is finally well we've got depth and they're pushing each other. And yeah, I think I think two flat becomes the new norm. Yeah. I think you need yeah, something. rather than two four or three. Well, yeah, three. you, you yeah. need something under 201 to factor yourself in yeah um, which would be really interesting it was a very healthy environment for us mm. cool other things happening around europe you've touched on a few um meets but you know we've had well jenicky was in leverkusen so 1306 for missions yeah, so. as, as i understand she was sort of using her time in europe to get healthy again basically i think she'd had some injury troubles so not not a time that she's you know gonna be um jumping up and down about but um a, a sort of return to moderate form so she seemed happy enough with that nick hoff was really unfortunate to run effectively what was the world champ standard but with too much wind yeah 1344 in houston um what's so, the standard so the, for him no so the meet after oh no it might, yeah it was houston yeah i think yeah. it was plus 2.4 or 2.4 yeah. yeah i don't know the standard off the top of my head i do apologize not being a hurdles mm. whiz um i think it's 32 maybe 36 yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's thirty two or thirty six. Yeah, so I, think, I, I think he was pretty close, but yeah, I think um, he's he's been very close a number of times. He d- at the moment it looks like he'll get a roll down spot. Um, well, he's also cool. he won Oceania, so he's got a wild card. <laughs> if they do, use if they solution. do it, well, that's another contentious thing. We don't know that, and we won't know until very late uh, in the piece, I believe. Yeah, and I think a, a one liner on that is if. The, the wild card B spot is very closely timed, tied to the aims of the selection policy. And the aims of the selection policy, number one, is selecting people that have seen to go top eight at World Championships. So I would suggest 
caution on expecting yep. anyone to get picked on that. But um, thanks for that clarification because uh, it is um, pretty hot, um, hot topic at the moment. True. The old Oceania. other ones to point out: um, Rosie Donegan had a huge run in Liège, um, yep. and in what was a very fast-paced race, just started mowing down people in the last thousand meters um, in the steeple around nine thirty-seven. Yeah, look, Rosie's now the well, I wouldn't say the preeminent steeple, but she's got the number one spot, yeah. and I think number two and number three as well. So she's been <laughs> consistent there, uh, yeah. which is good. Yep. She also popped out. You know, it's not it's by comparison. Harrison to Linda. She ran a 418-1500. But for Rosie, that's, you know, just nice, stable. Yeah, yeah, it's just dead It's another PB. Another PB, yeah. 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 Um, Georgia Wink Cup as well was yeah. about three days off a plane from Australia um, and around 9.45 in her, in her first sort of international race, which was pretty exciting for her um, just because she didn't really know what to expect and the race was sort of supposed to be paced for about 9.20-odd um, in Liège, but the two paces managed to injure themselves within the first... 1500 or so um one head first off a barrier and the other had an achilles problem and stepped off so it, you know as as quick as these meets look and as and as sort of perfect as people seem to make them out to be um they're pretty calamitous when you're over there sometimes so i think some of the wiser heads often do better because they're just a bit calmer yeah well it's the depth of field and this it's good for the australians to get that experience but you know going through this um yeah quite a few australians overseas the moment adam pikes popped out of 150 at Ghent in Belgium. You've also got uh, Peter Boll, the 145.56. Let's have a chat about that one. Which initially was Barcelona. Listed. I remember when the start list came out, um, I texted Justin Ronaldo, his coach, and said, oh, you know, that looks like a big field. And Justin said, yeah, I hope that's two heats because there were 16 people listed. Uh, Sounds like Milo's club field. And initially, yeah, the men's 800 in Barcelona was listed as 16 guys uh, each start sharing a lane. Yep. So wow. um, that was whittled down to 15 uh, after the warm-up. Thankfully, I guess, um, and it was like it was it was a premier field. Like there were a lot of one forty four, and there was like a few one forty three guys in it. And the meet organizers were just like, "Yep, all going the same heat." Um, and the tricky thing was the meet weather was atrocious, and there were you know tents flying everywhere and rain and wind. And, really, and okay. it sort of it was the same meet where Luke Matthews ran three thirty seven yep. point. Um, and then when the men's eight hundred finally got on the track, because they were suggesting they were going to cancel it, um, there was sort of a, a puddle um, for the whole track in the inside of lane one and all the guys just said no look we've <laughs> we've all flown to Barcelona we need to you know a lot of them needed qualifiers so look huge huge congratulations to Pete he's he's had a few races like that you know a couple of days prior in Korczyk he'd split 50 point in really windy conditions and closed in 60 point to run 150 a couple of days later turns up in Barcelona tries pretty much the same tactic um, which you often have to in 800s which is just to commit um, and yeah, it worked for him this time. So 145, uh, I think you've got the, the tenths there. Um, 145. 145.56. Uh, yeah, and he'd uh, done a 147.30 earlier in Karlstad as yeah. well. So, so Pete's just, you know, he's finding his way, I suppose. Um, Rory Hunter keeps going along quite nicely. Houston, just behind Luke Matthews and mm. Houston. So yeah, and he was just behind Ramsden and the other guys in Magnana, I think. Yeah. Um, so he's, he's right there. I think the hard thing with, uh, any middle distance athlete is just getting in a race that, that pans out sort of the way that best suits you which is rare um, but yeah I think you know, he's, he's right on that cusp of, of cracking into a, a 36 or a 35 Alrighty I think that probably does it for the European wrap so Sean welcome back um, obviously a interesting experience for you come back wiser <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, I hope so. Um, I think it's just a few uh, new best friends over there as well oh, Hopefully but um, I think yeah it's just yeah, I, th- I think that the talk around it was that like you know, if, you, if it's a world you want to try and get involved in, there's not much value in sitting on your couch at home. So you've sort of got to 
self-invest and get yourself over there and, and try and help people out. So, yeah, it's good fun. Well, it sounded like it. So, well done and welcome back. So, Hamish, we had a fairly pleasant day at Lake Wendouree on the weekend, didn't we? We were in the Riviera of the West, as uh, Rod Griffin is fond of calling it, and uh, conditions were very benign. They there, were. There was a little bit of wind along the Loretto side of the lake, but it was quite mild and people ran very fast. The field wasn't perhaps as deep at the very, very pointy end, but... Well, it wasn't at the lakeside, but we didn't ex- we, we'd no. never expect that anyway because no. it's out of metropolitan Melbourne and, and, look, there's been a lot of events on too and there's some sort of clashing things going on with particularly the, uh, the Australian Half Marathon Championships next weekend or the weekend coming, so we didn't expect um, great fields, but we did have some good performances. Before we get into the, the adults, we'll just do a summary of the junior results. And they do the one lapper, the one lap dash around uh, Lake Wendouree, which is six kilometres. And in the under 14 women, Imogen Baker from Mornington Peninsula, 24 26 to take that one out. Under 14 men, Archie Hewitt, also Mornington Peninsula. So there's lots of good stuff happening with their junior program right now. So Archie ran 20 52 for the 6K. Under 16, Neve Tabbitt continues on her way. The Coburg Carrier ran 21 32 to take that age group. And Isaac Rosado, one of the locals from Ballarat, 2012 to take out the men's under 16. Ebony Dottermaid in the women's under 18s, 2201, Western Athletics, and also Western Athletics, Ethan McMinnamy. He's having a very good year, uh, and he's gone on to run 1858 in the under 16s. Under 20, probably a couple of the regulars, you wouldn't have, um, you know, you would have put money down on Abby Caldwell for that one, but she uh, had a good win there. 2057 for Doncaster in the under 20 women. And Jack Eater, I, I think Jack arrived about five minutes before the start. Classic Eater. <laughs> yeah, and he was just because, yeah, the, one of the issues with Saturday was there was massive roadworks on. It wasn't massive roads, only small area of roadworks at Rockbank, but massive bank up of traffic, which resulted in pe- people spending about 30 or 40 minutes just sitting there waiting to get through and some people arrive late including Jack Itter and he was told by the coach just get out warm up on the first couple of K and you'll be right and he was right 1842 for a clear victory there for Jack Itter so <laughs> very well yeah, Itter done. is one of the it's just one of the funniest characters to be in the state team program I every race he turns up for I, I'm just a keen eye on how the, the Jared Clifford Tim Logan disciple uh, gets his way through a race well, let's watch out. We'll see how that one pans out, Sean. So, Jackie, did definitely um, a good one to watch. Now, in the let's go to seniors. Hamish, Andy Buchanan's run the forty-four seventeen. What, what was your sort of? Well, you didn't see it. You were running, or, or well, I saw it once at the yeah. turnaround, but then he was well and truly out of my sight. Uh, from his description, took it comfortable for a couple of k's, and then put the afterburners on, and no one saw him again. And he's run forty-four, which. Is very very impressive. It, not many years that would that would be beaten around the the Lake Wendouree course, and the the field behind him was deep. Um, the uh, the king of the lake, Mona, was in the forties. Yeah, forty first place for Steve Mona. We'll, we'll talk about yeah, Mona's performance running, in uh, detail. Running forty nine and a half. So yeah. there was a, there was a lot of sub fifty runs and. Um, but yeah, so that he was he cleared out pretty early, and then there was a pack behind him with uh, the the man who's trying to dethrone Mona as um, as King of Ballarat, Julian Spence. 
Yeah, well, Spence also, came in third. selected to the Australian. Yes. Well, so, yeah. Well, the Australian Australian yeah, so he, he was uh, an international representative running in Ballarat, his, his local area now. But Spence came in third in 45.05, so sitting on around that three-minute K pace. Andre Waring came in for second position from Box Hill. Are we seeing a bit of a, a conversion of Waring here from track runner to, to road cross-country? He's in the state cross-country team. He's second in the 15K. This is... Not to be not to be throwaway, but I think he's just got range. Yeah. I think... Mm-hmm. We've seen this in a couple of seasons where he's run quite well in 10 and 15k events and has still come back and run really well over 8 and 15 and those sorts of distances. So I think it's maybe Well, there, there's recent, you know, guy, okay. you throw back to guys like Mel Norwood, they had range, they go right the way of the marathon and yet they were superb. Rod Dixon. Yeah, 800, 1500 runners. So, <laughs> so obviously the, the Deneen program there well, for Andre is working. More generally the Box Hill style that everyone just gets out and runs. Runs everything. Runs yeah. everything. Yeah. And you love to see it. And you'll find the distance that suits you, and maybe it's more than one distance. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's, it's good for the team. It's good for the athlete. So not mm. much separating Waring and Spence. Uh, only about seven seconds. Uh, then Ryan Geard, another seven seconds back. Geardy, probably the best run from Geardy for quite a while. We he was he, yeah he was a very good junior behind the likes of Kane Grimster and Jordan Williams back in the day. He was always sort of the third guy um, and had some some absolutely staggeringly bad foot injuries. Um, I think yeah just had some really bad sort of joint and stress-based injuries um, and took a fair bit of time. Not so much away from the sport, but yeah, I think he just sort of ran for the enjoyment of it yeah, for a little while. Yeah, he had to just back off. Yeah. Um, you know, so I've I had a few chats to Ryan about it and, 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 yeah, and uh, very frustrating for him, obviously. Oh, definitely. Sort of knowing what you're capable of. But I think, yeah. you know, he's been seen, you know, trained a bit more with the with the Western guys and he's, I think, become a bit more of an older figure at the club there and in, you know, helping yeah. out the younger guys and stuff. Um but, yeah, look, it, it's always cool to see someone come back into it and, you know, find a, a good spot in the sport. Yeah, and I think we're going to see Ryan extending out to longer distances too, which, you know, yeah, which yeah, is exciting. Yeah, I think he has talked about, you know, having a crack at a marathon and yeah, things like that. Yeah, the big 42K, so we cool might see him in Melbourne maybe. Or yeah, which would be, oh, I think that's quite exciting for us too to have a guy mm. like Ryan just mm. step in and have a go at it. Yeah. Um, nothing to lose for him, I reckon. You know, if it doesn't go well, bad luck, but he's uh, good to see him come in fourth there. Jack Davies was one of my tips to perform at this one, 45 20. Probably I would have thought he would have been a little bit ahead of that, but maybe the 15K is just extending his range. He's fi- still fairly young. So he came in fifth, the local Ballarat boy, but in the St. Stephen's colours. So we did catch up with Andy uh, immediately after the race, and uh, here's what Mr. Buchanan, no, what Mr. Buchanan has to say. Andrew Buchanan, 15K champion. That was a great run out there today. Yeah, no, I was really happy with how it went. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't really too sure what the plan was coming in. Um, always like to have a pretty flexible race plan just because you never know what's going to happen and especially with these races who knows who might rock up um so sometimes these races have got crazy depth um whereas today it seemed to be a little bit light on um so yeah i had a good race um yeah pushed it pretty hard from kind of 3k onwards and was pretty solo uh but no i really enjoyed running a few laps of the lake in some nice i know ballarat people complain about the weather but it was actually pretty nice down here talking about the depth look i think it was a pretty strong event too because you know Lakeside was hugely strong. There was the depth there with Harry and then Liam and yourself and then you know Jack and Bucks behind them. But uh, today still you had a lot of those players out there. Harry's Harry's just easing back towards um, City to Surf at the moment, but you can't underestimate how well you run today. Yeah, and that's I think you're always you're always going to have to run well to win one of these races. Uh, there's no easy race in AV, and I think that's says so much about uh, about this this series, and I think that's why it's so strong. Um, and that's the thing, still to finish top ten at this race. A lot of guys will be walking home going happy. So, um, yeah, it was it was really good, and I was um, yeah, I was a little bit pleased not to come up against Harry. I think I've 
finished second in three races this year, so it's nice to finally get an interview with you guys. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to have you on board too, Andy. Uh, you've got National Cross coming up, uh, a two-time winner, and how are you looking for this year? Yeah, I'm actually, uh, I know, I've had a pretty big focus on the half marathon this year. Um, and that's still going to be a pretty strong focus for the rest of the year. So, uh, yeah, but I feel like there's a lot of strength there. I felt really good today. I'm going to do Cruden as well because that's two weeks out. So it's, the AV series has been a perfect uh, lead up for a lot of my races. So I'll continue to do Cruden Farm. Um, yeah, Wollongong, I was there two years ago. It's not a course that really suits me too much uh, in that I kind of prefer a lot of uh, hills and that like Mullaney last year. Um, but no, it'll be good to head back to Wollongong and a little bit of warmer weather as well. Exactly right, we are looking forward to that. Uh, Post-National Cross, though, what's on the agenda for Andy Buchanan? Yeah, uh, I want to do a half somewhere. So a few a few rumours from the coach, I might be heading overseas to do a half. Uh, maybe in Japan, possibly, just there's a lot of depth over there. So I feel like that's, I don't know, I, I feel like I'm kind of merging away from the 5K, 10K kind of stuff and reaching out for the half, um, especially after running OK in Gold Coast. And then, I don't know, might be stupid enough to do a marathon next year, who knows? Well, let's talk about Melbourne later. <laughs> All right, Andy, well done today. Uh, great result, and, uh, yeah, congratulations on another championship. No, thank you, Tim, and thanks for all the uh, AV staff for all the work they do in setting these races up. Uh, women's race, yet again, quite an interesting one. Gemma Maney, in her normal manner, broke out early, had Kaya Fry just trailing a little bit behind. Uh, but, gee, you've got to put your money on Kaya these days. She's just a great racer, isn't she, Hamish? And uh, just having a fantastic season, just reliably at the pointy end of the race and with a bit of a killer instinct too, I think. It, yeah. uh, it shows up in that last third of a race. It showed up again on Saturday. Just yeah, it just bothered it, you because know, I was stationary and watching as they came around each time and I could just sense that she was in rhythm. She didn't panic when there was someone ahead of her and just thought, okay, I'm just going to run my race. And then just, uh, you know, during the course of the run, just started to move away and ended up winning by over a minute. So 51.42 for Kaya Fry. Second, this is an interesting one, Tammy Quinn. So representing Collingwood Harriers, 52.47, came past Gemma on the last lap. Tammy's a really good story. She's now been announced in the Victorian cross-country team, so she's wearing the big V. She is absolutely stoked because she's a mature very excited, runner. Yeah, yeah very, extremely excited, and this is good. Uh, in listening to... Uh, she was having a conversation with Glenn Turner um, the other, at Lake Wendery just after the race, and she said the biggest turning point for her was when she was allowed into the Zatapec because she was touch and go to make it based on qualifying times, and we put her in. She ran superbly, and she said that's where she discovered the love for running at that level. And she has not looked back. So, yet again, give someone an opportunity like that, uh, they grab it. It can go the other way too. I've seen some classic fails at Zatapec too where women are getting multi-lapped and that can just destroy them. But with Tammy, she ran a very well-measured Zatapec, and apparently that was what got her into it. And, you know, second in a Victorian championship. You wouldn't have picked that this time last year, Hamish, would you? No, definitely not. And... Uh it's exciting just to see these new people putting the big V on and uh, and jumping in what will undoubtedly be a very, very successful team. Well, it will. There's been a massive amount of changes which we're going to talk about later in the Victorian team, hasn't there, Sean? You've been a bit busy since you got back. Oh, a bit, but yeah, there's been a few emails flying around. Um, yeah. But yeah. I think that's always the hard thing when there's such a gap between states and nationals. Like, I know Queensland only had their state champs just last weekend, but... Um, with states or nationals being a lot later. Um, yeah, it's just tricky with road racing and people getting niggles. Yeah, and then different agendas as well, which is... Yeah, yeah, like national cross-country is fantastic, but I guess to throw a spanner in the works there, there's not... 
but there's no, well, there's fun- no lure. Yeah, there's no yeah. financial incentive to yeah. run it. You've got to pay to get up there yourself. It's like, you know, it's a large can of worms. Well, you're doing it for the love of the sport, that one. There's yeah, no you doubt. are, which is, which is easy to the, justify. The, the desire, and for someone like Tammy, the desire to wear the big V. Yeah, and it is easy to justify when you want to go and when you've got the, the faculties to go. Yeah. But I think the hard thing there as well is that, you know, in comparison to what will be um, a trial race at the start of 2020 is yep. you, you don't get the same field. And, you know, Andy Buchanan is a perfect example of that. He's a guy I would, I would love to see on a world cross-country team and has been, you know, within one spot of it a number of times. But that's the weird sort of spot National Cross Country sits in at the moment. It certainly does. Rebecca Beagley came in fourth. So that's another good story here. The, the Glen Huntley stalwart, been around for a few years now, but that would be her highest placing by a long shot, I reckon, Rebecca. And that was a very good runner because behind her was Sarah Waters, who's, who's an Iver. So 53.38 for, for Beagley and uh, 54.13 for Waters. So not a bad top five there, Hamish, was it? No, certainly not. It did feel like it was a day where people formed packs not because of the wind, because there was a little bit, but not much, but just because it helped people run fast. The pacing, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and so you did see really good, solid packs lasting for a long time, and the only reason people were dropping off was that they were just finding the pace a little bit hot, but it was dragging a lot of people through to very fast times. I suppose the positioning of Lake Wendoree, it does spin around a little bit. It's usually in the depths of winter, hence why the conditions aren't always superb but um it it's not a bad race is it that one that 15k it's it's for the those who don't know it's 1500 out 1500 back and then two laps of the lake which is six kilometers so 15k in total yeah it's a it's a great race i think it's a good race for clubs as well you often find it's a great day out you know a lot of clubs will jump on a bus i know glenn huntley did it this year as well you can have some pizza and beer on the bus on the way home for those who are 18 plus and, yeah, it's a good good team-building day, but it's also just a good head-out. If you're thinking half marathon in Melbourne or Burnley, you know, that 15K, that's a hard tempo. Certainly isn't, you know, moving back on the focus on Kaya Fry, that's exactly where she's going. So she's looking now at road racing. She'll be doing Burnley, and it'll be interesting to see who lines up at Burnley. But, gee, if um, Kaya's there, we know that she's going to put... And I'll, I'll be really fascinated to see what time she can run there. The 51.42, gee, I reckon we're looking at a 74, 75 sort of time perhaps for her. Maybe a little bit quicker, we'll, we'll find out. Certainly sub-75. Yeah, so anyway, we did catch up with Kaya after presentations. Uh, here's Kaya Fry. Well done, Kaya Fry. Another victory here. Uh, I think that's two for you at the XCR series. Uh, one last year, one this year. Yeah, I really um, enjoyed this course today. I was excited to step up to 15 just to see what I could do and uh, I think the longer stuff's suiting me a little bit better. So having a good season so far. Now you were duelling out there early with Gemma but uh, probably into that second lap that's when you started to clear away, wasn't it? Yeah, I just tried to stay relaxed that first lap and then I thought, well, I'll try and pick it up in the second half and just move off and I did and just felt comfortable, which was good. Now, you seem to be quite versatile in that you're also doing really well at the cross country and we look forward to seeing you at Kembla Grange in the National Cross, but do you have a preference road over cross? Uh, definitely cross country. I think I'm pretty good on the hills and I enjoy those challenges um, and enjoy the softer surfaces, but um, road is definitely an option for me and I look forward to a good fast hit out when I do get on the road. You'd be looking forward to Kembla Grange then, as, although it's not as challenging a course as, say, last year at Mullaney, but uh, you must be looking forward to you know, mm. potentially being a medal prospect at the national level. 
Yeah, that would be amazing. I mean, there's a lot of strong girls heading up. We've got a really good team and just looking forward to battling that one out. And Kemble is a beautiful course, so it'll be, yeah, good race. Now, talking road again, though, uh, you came second in this one last year to, to Sarah, who's unfortunately got a bit of an injury at the moment. First today, but then you're talking about going to half marathons. Yeah, I would definitely like to step up to a half. I haven't done one yet, so I'm looking forward to Burnley. And um, if I enjoy it, I'll maybe make that a bit more of a focus, I think. Now, with today, how are the splits out there? Because you know, the true test of a half marathon runner is pretty even pacing. Yeah. How are you out there today for the 15? I think I was pretty good. I didn't try not to look at my watch. Um, I had a great bunch of guys around me pacing me, which was wonderful, and they just kept me um, on the whole time. So I just kept trying to push to the finish line. All right, well, Kai, we return to Cruden Farm in a couple of weeks. I assume you'll be back. I'll be there for sure, yep. Excellent. We hopefully can go back to back at that one. So, Kai, Fry, <laughs> congratulations once again. Yep. Thank you so much. Cheers. So another good day, Hamish, wasn't it at Wendery? It was probably one of the best days we've had for a while, but numbers were down, there's no doubt about that. It looked lower than normal, so we'll talk about that in the XCR review, but worrying signs, do you think, or is this just the swings and roundabouts? I'll, uh, I'd, I'd suggest it's mostly a function of the calendar. I think this calendar has, the calendar for 2019 has been uniquely challenging for getting athletes both engaged in the in the 10 rounds but also to them even if they are engaged I, you know I, I don't think that's a surprise uh, back-to-backs are very difficult um, having three races in four weeks is difficult and uh, yeah so I think that's a large part of it and it, the clashes for a variety of reasons have, have made it difficult. You know, there are a lot of appealing races out there for people who just like road racing. And if we're going head-to-head or close to head-to-head with some races, then we are going to lose a few. So I think that's that can be a large part of it, but there are other reasons we'll talk about later on. Excellent. Well, big thank you once again, though, to Ballarat Region, also Ballarat um, City Council as well. They're a big supporter of the event, and it was great to be there on a, a fairly pleasant Ballarat day. It was a beautiful day. So seven rounds down now of XCR, Hamish. So we're getting into that uh, the tail end of the season where things are really starting to line up and shape up. Uh, do you want to give us a bit of a review on how the ladders are looking in some of those key divisions? Certainly, Tim. It's uh, This is the point of the season where your athletes are often getting a bit tired. You have a few dropped out through injury. Or state representation. State representation. Well. They might be going overseas to be chasing qualifiers for Doha. So this is where uh, the rubber meets the road for your team management. So uh, one of the most fascinating battles has been St. Stephen's quest to win Premier Man. Um, for the first time since when do you reckon? When do you reckon I'm not sure. I'm sure, Nick, I'm sure Nick Bowden will tell us as soon as the podcast yeah. comes out. It, yeah. Definitely a while. Um, the Premier Division in the men has been dominated by Box Hill and... Geelong for the last few years. And Glenn Huntley and prior Glenn, to that. Glenn Huntley prior to they that. They won 10 in a row. Oh, brutal. Uh, but St. Stephen's, uh, over the last two rounds, has taken a not insignificant lead. 
It's only five points, but five... Yeah, that's hard to turn around. Five points with three rounds to go is hard to turn around. Particularly when you look at an event like, say, the 10 Relays, where it, where you might have other clubs come in and steal that win, which yes. gives you know, gets rid of that two-point advantage. Yeah, definitely. Although the, the 10 Relays, uh, as a counterpoint, is often an event where... Uh, a team who thinks they're quite strong might find themselves mid-table because other teams will bring in all their yeah, mid their mid-D athletes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think. Uh, so they've just got to hold, you know, hold on to position, and and probably the critical run now will be Cruden Farm. Yes. Yeah. Next next round, twelve k's cross, and if they can maintain, or if they can finish ahead of Box Hill at Cruden Farm, I think it's done and dusted. I think yeah, I think it is done and dusted. They. We know they've got reasonable depth. You know that they, they don't. They're not having. They don't have the box hill level of depth. Where they well, their second team's pretty good. It's pretty strong, yeah. but it, it's not. You know, the box hill can fill two or three extra yeah. teams, and you know they do tail off as every team tails but off. It's but top end at the moment for box yes. hill, which they're missing. Uh, yeah, yeah, and with and Harry missing Cruden Farm as well, because the same weekend as uh, City of the Surf, which is going to try and get the win there. Yeah. Uh, and I know that Box Hill do have some interstaters like Potter and Gebra mm. Celesi, but how often are they going to bring them over? Yeah. And and will it really matter when you look at now that guys like Davies have stepped up and mm. Thorpe has been excellent yeah. over cross country? Yeah, that, you know, I think there'll be a, a question for St. Stephen's... Well, and Coleman as well. You know. over the, for most of them over the half, like Jimmy Coleman ran yeah, a very, good, very the, good half. But the uh, half's a bit different because... A lot of the teams don't approach the half in race mode. It's more a lot of the guys will be doing tempo type running, and, and because the field numbers are lower, mm. it's easier to get a good score. Yeah, 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 definitely. Although you know, St Stephen's will still, uh, I think, for some of their guys, you know, the twenty one is a bit more of a stretch than for, oh, a, will gr- be. for a, gr- a group of the box hill guys. But this is where you're going to rely on guys like yeah. Wagstaff to yeah. to just put in a, a pearl of a race there and get mm. good position, and then you might have some group running from your likes of you know Coleman or. You know, Buckingham might be away at that stage. I think he might be back in Europe. Yeah. Uh, and this is yet again where your Aspinalls and those types might have to step yeah. through and Gibneys. And, yep. you know, but they have got the stocks there. So. Yeah, the, the stocks are definitely there. And uh, we, we shouldn't go past noting that Western Athletics is... Oh, awesome, know, isn't it? Western Athletics, clear, third, third. Clear third spot there. Yeah. They've, they've done very well to build this team up. They've only been in the top division for a couple of years now. Yep. And, they're and they're most of them are homegrown product too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. It's very exciting. Yeah. Um, I know they've got a, a plan. They want to be in uh, the top three divisions. Um, if we look, if we step down now to Division Two. Well, hang on. Before we go to Division Two, have a look at the bottom end of division or Premier Division yes. for men. What's happening there? Yeah, well, so at the bottom end, 10th uh, place, eight points off ninth is Essendon. So in trouble. They're definitely in trouble. I, so I, I, who, I who's in ninth at the moment? Ballarat? Uh, no, Collingwood. Collingwood. Oh, where's so Ballarat? Ballarat, of Ballarat had a, obviously they had a good round at Wendery, yeah, as yep. they always do. They're now three points ahead of Collingwood. Wow. So they're so they've for Ballarat now it's just holding steady, getting a reasonable team to Ball, uh, to Burnley, and then see what they can do. Yeah, with yeah. The I, I'd suggest uh, Ballarat are safe. Collingwood are likely safe. Essendon have, to, Essendon have to have a very good three rounds to to avoid relegation. Yeah, potentially ten realise they could come a bit stronger, but you, but everyone else does. That's yes. the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't it's, bring your A team to, yeah, to in, only in ten ma- realise because everyone else brings an A team. Yeah, in a management sense, it's very easy to get a good team to ten realise. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's much more difficult to get a, a good team. Although we had seen in previous years, Knox dig themselves out of a hole just at the tan realise. Yes, yeah, <laughs> that's uh, infamously. Um, it's much more difficult to get a good team at Cruden Farm. Yeah, exactly right. 
and they're the ones you've got to fill. Mm. Now, second division for men? Second division for men. Uh, another fascinating battle for the, the premiership uh, and the one spot to promotion to premier. And so, uh, APS United one point ahead of uh, Bendigo. Bendigo have been making a sort of concerted surge over the, the last couple of years, having returned to XCR. It's very exciting to see them back. They, they you know, they had a, a great history about 15 years ago of being very strong. They were up in Premier. They battled Melbourne Uni for a few of those premierships. We both went up and down together. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're going very close now. They're a point off APS. but I think Saturday would have been a bad result for Bendigo, though. Yeah, definitely, because they they would they, they would, would have penciled that one in, I reckon. Yeah, they they would have viewed that having some more experienced runners, especially runners yep. with some some credentials over the longer distances, thinking that they would have got that. Um, but what we saw was the young brigade from APS come out. So yep. obviously they've converted these guys from under twenties to opens for that. Right. Yes, and I I think uh, what we're seeing now is a concerted effort from two clubs to try and take that one spot back into Premier. Which is fascinating. And this is what this is the beauty of the Victorian system. It's the beauty yeah, of, of promotion. Promotion relegation, relegation yeah. yeah. It, it, the dynamic um, forces clubs to race their games and it, it's exciting. But also to recruit. Yep. Um, in, some t- in some instances, bring them in from interstate. But yep. also the pushing up of juniors into senior ranks to try. Yeah, and yeah, definitely. And, you know, an APS also have the, the capacity to to put the call out to some of their more experienced runners. Yep. You know, they're, they're, they've got a big pool of of runners in their 40s and 50s and, you know, if they need an extra runner yeah, And or some two, of those are pretty good. Yeah, Ant Rickards. Yeah, those Ant guys Rickard, yeah. really around really, really well. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, they've, they've got they've got a different set of tools in their arsenal than a, than a Bendigo do. But, you know, Bendigo's clear advantage is they've got Brady and Andy up the front. But they but need they, more. But they've only got the two of them. So, yeah. you know, they, they need a... They need a bigger pool. If we look further down the divisions, their lower division teams are going well, but you know they uh, that's going to be a very exciting battle over the. the um, what about the bottom end of two? What's the bottom end of two. Going back to um, our discussion of Western A's, they've got a plan. They want to they want to be in the top three divisions uh, in men, but their second team is battling to avoid relegation. Well, that's um, going to put a fly in the ointment, isn't it? Yeah, and. Um, the the promotion three to two is much easier than the promotion two to one. So, in a strategic sense, much better to to keep that one team up and then um, and then fight later on to get three back into two. Um, Who else is in relegation zone there? Uh, Collingwood is the other one. You know, mm. it's only a couple of years ago that Collingwood was one to seven, having a team in every men's open division and so for them to be dropping out of two that's a bit of a surprise looking at the points they're 10 points behind western a. so, so that's, th- they're in trouble they're they're dropping down to three and for those who don't know if you if you drop a division that pushes all your all others them, they'll cascade down yeah, yeah. They, all, they all get pushed down so that's um that's divi two the exciting thing is in the in the open men more generally there are live premiership battles in a lot of those divisions so, Division Three, Mornington and VCCL, um, who were the cross-country version of the VAL. Yep. So the pro uh, runners. The pro runners, led by Mara. Yep. Um, there's only two points there for a premiership. Who's on top at the moment? Uh, VCCL, 100 to 98. So that will put them up to 
Division Two, up which di- means yeah. going from a five-man team to a six-man six team. Six-man team, yeah. but but they've got a second team further down the list. They're winning Div Six as well, very comfortably. So they'll they'll cover that. Right. It, look, it's an interesting addition VCCL into the competition. They came to us a couple of years ago to come in. Probably one thing I'd caution with them, which we might have to look at, is they came in saying they're going to bring in a lot of new athletes. Mm. Not always the case. They're often athletes are changing allegiance to run with them, which isn't necessarily great for our competition. Yeah, I I can understand it's not great for the competition, but I think... Well, if it robs other clubs of opportunity, and it's not... from. you know, put your AV hat on, mm. not bring any new members to us. No. And that's what we need. If a new club comes in, mm. we want them with fresh runners, yeah, yeah, with yeah. new runners, not just going to this club and mm. saying, okay, well, you know, pinching from that one and pinching from this yeah. one. That, that That's not very good for the comp or yeah. for those other clubs that are, that are then losing. No, definitely not. I'd, I would argue that the uh, much moribund one-sport policy does require we actually think about the pros as an element of... You know the the goal of one sport having a, a single organisation with the whole sport involved oh, in it, and and so yeah. I th- I think, in a long term strategic sense, the the closer the integration, the better. But you know those um those competition elements, uh, you know those they're real, and you know we would hope that they'll bring some more people in. Uh, going further down the list, APS two winning Div four, Bendigo two winning Div five, VCCL winning Div six. Um, and then I mean Westerns are in seven. Yeah, Western Westerns winning seven. Uh, I was talking to Stu on the weekend. Apparently, I don't think they won a premiership last year, but they got something like six second places. That's yes, so I'll uh, I will bring that up in uh, in my stats section soon. Uh, Forty plus, very close between APS United and Geelong in the men. Um, APS United serial. Premiers in, in yeah, the well, Masters. Box, Box Hill is also yes. strong in the Masters. Yeah, and Box Hill winning uh, three points ahead of APS United in 50-plus men. Uh, Williamstown and Nunna fighting out 60-plus men. Uh, oh, it's good to have two different teams there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and another fascinating battle is uh, is Premier Women. I think this has been... Interesting. Is, yeah. yeah, very, very interesting in, in a year where we've seen a dynamic we haven't seen for a while in Premier Women. It's, it's often been one team just comes out and smashes the whole season and no one gets close to them. Some years it's been South Melbourne, some years it's been Glenn Huntley. Yep. But this year, no one's been able to get on top for a while and the big shock... Well, to me, Essendon looked like they were doing that. Yeah, but then yeah. they tripped over at Lake Wendouree. Yeah, they, they tripped over at the last round. They, didn't have, yep. they couldn't get five women there for whatever reason. They, a couple of them running elsewhere... And so now they're in second place, four points behind Collingwood. And four points can be hard to bridge. With Collingwood, know that they've got their nose in front, and they've got good depth. You know, when you look yep. at those, you know, they've got Quinn and uh, Murray Bartlett and Maloney and yes. various others. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know, they're credentialed runners, especially over the long distances. Um, we do know from the stats and from experience that twelve k cross for women is a sometimes a hard sell. And so, if you I reckon re- they'll be there in numbers, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> and I, I think this that's isn't going to worry Collingwood at no, all. No, that, so I wouldn't be surprised if at the end yeah. of round eight we see that Collingwood might have an, uh, a hard to beat lead. Yes, uh, Glenn Huntley in third, and uh, the mighty Melbourne Uni in fourth. Um, at the other end of the table, uh, there's really no doubt who's getting relegated. It's Knox. They've only scored one round out of the seven so far. Yeah, well, someone told me the other day because we were obviously a bit worried about South Melbourne. We lost a runner going into that round and that meant we didn't have a team. But someone looked, looked 
looked at the Knox list and only, f- I think, five registered female open athletes for Lake Wendouree and one of them was in a moon boot. So we already knew that they weren't going to have a team. Yeah. And in the end, I don't think they had anyone there at all. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't looked at the individual results, but that's, um, that's a precipitous fall for Knox, who in the not-too-distant past were a premiership contender in, in the women. You know, they're, they're often in that second, third, fourth type range. Yeah, but what, what's happened there is due to change of training groups and coaching squads, that's where they leaked quite a, you know, Katie Gamble, people like that, Beck Barry, have moved away. And then yep. they just didn't, you know, the, the only legitimate runner they've or top runner or melissa duncan being in japan doesn't help either Mm. is victoria scott's onus so you know who's representing victoria the the half champs this weekend and so didn't run Mm. ballarat obviously so they're in trouble yes and you know clubs will and there's really no avoiding it go through peaks and troughs but you have to be able to manage those and fight, and well, fight against them. Yeah, we're going through that at South Melbourne, my club as well. You know, we didn't field a team yet again, um, and we don't have the stocks. As simple as that. You know, you you lose them for various reasons. We've got a few injuries, obviously, but also transfers and stuff like that, and it's really hard to go. I mean, but I've never seen this before. You know, I had more of our squad running run Melbourne than Lake Wendouree by a long shot for the mm. women. We had a lot more running run Melbourne. Yeah. What does that say? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting. Uh, an interesting dynamic. I think. I, th- I think a part of it is, the, uh, the culture around. Women and competition. Sort of d- drives, uh, it drives women to seek out, less. Intense, less focused, less, visible competition. And I, and I think that's why often yeah. why park run is so popular and why like a big fun run is so popular because you can just disappear into the crowd. It's much more difficult, even though you know AV races are big races. Much less, much less. Um, there's less space to hide in an AV race. People know who you are. But but I think yeah, the problem there though is um, a lot of the girls don't realise the benefit of the regular XCR racing, and we heard Andy Buchanan saying mm. it before in the interview how you know this becomes the the backbone of what he does racing XCR. And I've got a good example of one of the girls in our squad who's first year AV. Mm. She got a top ten at Lake Wendouree, and the improvement just by racing round after round after round is just compared to the girls who were say at Run Melbourne. Mm. This one is the shining star. Why? because she's doing XCR, but it is hard to do that sell, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think it is. And I, I think if you're... Uh, I think if you've got to the point where the athletes are really committed to performance, you're probably already sold the AV product to them. I think the hurdle is that uh, there's a... that's a societal hurdle where women are reluctant to be seen to be openly competing. And, you know, that's a cultural problem that we have to you know you've got to have specific tactics within a club and a squad to be able to talk about the events in a way that overcomes those hurdles and that's work you know that's not easy to do and so I think thinking about those things and thinking about ways you can make it more appealing you know they're things you can do but none of this is easy you know these are societal problems that have existed for a long time well, and will continue to exist for a we'll long time we'll throw a few things up though 
on Saturday in women's Premier Division, four teams didn't score. I've never seen that before in Premier Division. That is, well, for a competition, that is disaster. That four teams could not get five women from our top level up to Ballarat to have a race. We've not seen that ever before. Does this mean we've got to go back to four scoring runners in Premier? I reckon we have to. Uh, we've got to be realistic here. You know, we want that. We that looks terrible. That hmm. looks disastrous. Yep. We have, as a competition, have to say, well, okay, girls, you're not co- with the numbers have dropped. Hmm. We now have to react against that. And the other thing, we're going to have to probably drop Division Five. Yeah, you know, well, you know I th- I think the argument for dropping Division Five is much stronger than the argument for going back to four runners. I I think, as I said earlier, I think the the structure of the season this year has created some relatively unique challenges that have made it harder to to get people out. I'm not certain those challenges will be still be there next year, but you know that's up for discussion. I you know I, I think. Well, another issue too, we're seeing you know the last couple of years has seen a steady decline in female numbers. Yep. Do you reckon it's not coincidental that it's gone along the same time that we did parity of distance for cross-country? Has the increase of distance in the cross-country races meant there is less participation for women? I think that's a possible factor. I think it's quite likely a factor. I'm not sure the extent to which it's the primary factor. Um, if So I was playing around with the stats over the last... from 2014 to 2019 and the... The, the drop in participation for women, for open women, does coincide with the, the change of distance. That was a couple of years ago. But I, I think that also it coincides with a few other things as well. So I, I definitely think that's a, a factor. I, I know there's, nothing, there's nothing stopping the sport and athlete, Athletics Victoria having races at shorter distances you know we've so the 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 championship distance is 10k there's nothing stopping us having cross-country distances for open athletes at 6 8 and 10 rather than 8 10 and 12. Um, But there was an outcry when we we dropped the 16. Yeah yeah. We're always going to get it no matter what we do we get outcry we know that. Yeah definitely. But probably another one I'll throw at you as a concept is for the masters women men and women and it happens in other states, um, do they run a different distance? So for you over 40 women, instead of doing the 12, they might be doing a 6. Mm-hmm. Would that be something that's more attractive? The only side there, obviously, it brings them out of the normal divisional scoring. So they can't score in Division 1, 2, 3, mm-hmm. whatever, but they, are, they do score in over 40s, same as a relay. You've got to make yeah. those choices in relays. Yeah, yeah. Is this something we've realistically got to look at, that for your over 40 women and maybe your over 50, over 60 men, that they come out of the normal divisions and in, if they want to? Yeah, mm-hmm. Because one of the things here, you always give person, a person a choice, and we've mm-hmm. done that in track as well, mm-hmm. uh, that if you want to nominate as an over 40, you can come to Cruden mm-hmm. Farm and instead of having to belt around 12K, you can only do six. So we, you, know, you not only need to do six. You reckon that would help to build numbers back up? I, I think there's a possibility. That I'm very strongly against, I think open is open. I think if you're 18 plus, I think the distance is the distance. And yeah, I, but and what I, about someone who's 70 or 80 years of age? I, do we want them, are you saying to them, we, we don't want you in our competition? No, no, I, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm certainly not saying that. I think the, the part of the strength of the competition that, that is XCR is that there are large, vibrant teams, and I think if we're 
if there's a, a move to s- split those teams up into smaller races, I, I think that hurts. You look at the New South Wales cross country and, you know, they'll have 60 open athletes and then 45 masters in a, in a cross country race and it, it's entirely moribund. You know, I, th- I think there's a risk and, a, you know, a non-trivial risk that you hurt the team competition. And the team competition is not the only thing that's successful about XCR, but one of the major ones. And so I think that's a, a very good reason not to do it. I, I certainly, one of the things that New South Wales does very well that I think should be considered is that there are, they'll often have a non-championship race. So, you know... Let yeah, but our calendar's already... Oh, no, but I'm, I'm yeah. saying on the same day. So you have, you know, let's say, let's take Cruden Farman as an example. If for the people who think that 12 k's is too far, have a, you know, or even, you know, is yeah, there but a, is if they're not running for points, they're not going to do it. That's yeah, that we yeah. know that was, is, we, that's our way of attracting non-members in yeah. or recreational yeah, runners yeah. in. But yeah. we're not going to get your club runner to do that. I don't think as soon as they're not having to be there for points, they're not going to run. Not, yeah. It doesn't okay. matter what the distance yeah. is. So you know the you know to me the only logical way to view it is that do we carve out different distances cross country only I don't think we really want to touch roads so the yeah, ten the fifteen yeah. the twenty one are you know we've been around and the figures they're not great but they're not dipping away like the cross country figures I think yeah you know I think well I you've th- got the stats there you can yeah so tell look me that. I'll um I'll go through them just before we do that I'll just I'll roll out the rest of the divisions so we don't neglect some clubs um, div two women box hill. Clearly in front, they'll get promoted back to Premier. And uh, the bottom of Div 2 women, Richmond and Masters, uh, will get relegated. Uh, Terrell and Harry's in Div 3 women, well out in front of everyone else, and there's a passel of clubs who will get relegated, having not scored at all in Div 3. Um, Div 4 women... Doncaster will get promoted and uh, Box Hill too likely to get promoted as well. Uh, Div 5 women all still up in the air. Uh, What's the highest number of scoring teams in Div 5 this year? Uh, in around yep. uh, four. four. That's and yet no, again, that's a disaster. Yeah, yeah that, you know, I think there's a very strong argument for going back to four divisions. And no team has scored in more than four rounds out of yeah. seven. Yeah. So there's no consistency. No, no, no one, no one's consistent. Uh, Forty plus women, APS and Box Hill, two points apart. That's still a very live battle. Fifty plus women, Box Hill. I've got that sewed up. Under twenty men, it's Western A's one point in front of Yarra Rangers. Well, that's going to be a good one. Did Yarra Rangers oops on the weekend and not have a team? They did. Yeah. So that's hurt them. They they'd won. Uh, so that's not that over yet. No, they're certainly yeah. not. They, Yarra Rangers won five of the first six, um, but have gone a point behind because they didn't have a team at Wendoree. Uh, Ballarat region going to win under 18 men. That's, that's good. A, that's yeah. very well, exciting. Yeah, there's that um, peer grouping that we've talked about a bit in this yep. podcasting of that under 18 boys, and they're very good kids. Yeah, and they're also going to win under 16 boys. Wow, that's that's even better. Jeez. Yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, Collingwood in the lead in under 14 boys, but that's still live. Mornington second, but they're uh, a reasonable way back. Mornington tend to win when they get on the track, though, don't they? Yes, yeah. yep. But, uh, they've got to keep getting them they got, They've got to keep getting them out there. Geelong are the only team who've, uh, who've fronted up every round of under-20 women. Under-20 women's a, yeah. divi- a division where you'll often get very patchy attendance, but Geelong have been there every round. They've won uh, 
five of the seven, so they're going to win. Western A's are going to win under 18 women. And uh, Ballarat's going to win under 16 women. Oh, no, so that's close. Who's, um, the, who's up Yarra, there? second. Yeah, well, yet again, a really strong program. Yes. Yarra yeah. Rangers. Um. Western A's are going to win under 14 women. So, you know, that I think there are, you know, about half the, the premierships are still live. But also down the bottom end. <laughs> yeah, a few about, relegation yeah, battles Yeah, a few rele- relegation battles still live too. Yeah. So that, that's pretty yeah. exciting. How are the individual ladders going this year? I think Kaya Fry's uh, streeting ahead in the open women. Uh, yes, a long way ahead. She's 36. So she's already got that wrapped up. So congratulations. That's back-to-back for Kaya, I think. Yep. In the um, Tammy Quinn second. Charlotte Wilson third. Um, the B- men? Yep. Buchanan, he's 10 points ahead of Summers. And with Summers being away... For the next one, I think Andy will win that one yeah. too. Yeah, and, so and it is best five out of six, but I can't see any fundamental changes there. No, no cer- points certainly not. Knowing that Andy is going to do Cruden Farm. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, you know, they're... Um, well, two worthy winners. Yeah, very two very worthy winners. Um, you know, Andy's probably that premier credentialed cross country runner in Australia over the last two years. Yep. And we will hopefully he goes uh, and does well at Kembla Grange. Yes, yeah, definitely. All right. So, so what other things we got going on in XCR, Hamish? Uh, what? So let, I'll just give you some sort of a rundown on on how the stats are looking uh, over the last few years. Um, so I've I've calculated these off the end-of-year team ladders, so they're by necessity a little rough and pixelated, but there's, you still find some very interesting things out of them. So over the last five years, 14 to 18, Glenn Huntley had the most scoring teams. They had 150 scoring teams over five years. Doesn't Con- surprise me. I reckon no. Collingwood maybe in second. Collingwood second, 125. Western A's third, 115. Across the whole competition for five years, 1,990 scoring teams. That's a lot of teams. That's a lot of teams. And most premierships over those five years, Western A's, 14. But very interestingly, they had 13 second places. Yes. So <laughs> there you go. They've, yeah. done it. They've come second a lot of times. Um, only one behind them, Box Hill, 13 premierships, only four second places. Right. So Box Hill, good in the clinch. Yeah. Um, there are 11 clubs who haven't won a premiership in the last five years. Who haven't? Who haven't won a premiership right. in the last five years. Three of them in the hunt this year. Okay. Ivanhoe, yeah. Ivanhoe, Division 5 men. Taralgon, Division 3 women. And St. Stephen's. Yes. Okay. So, And, and they're going to take... We could take one of the big ones. Yeah, they could yeah. take the, one of the big ones. That'll be very exciting. Um, if, we, if we look at the, sort of the trends over the last five years... Um, one of the standards is that the XCR 15, for whatever reason, was a particularly large year for XCR um, across most of the races. Uh, we're seeing sort of dips in Masters men, Masters women and Juniors women. Hang on, well, that, does that bolster my argument? Uh, I, I think the, the... The numbers speak... The numbers speak, but we, we, we've got no clarity really on what's driving them. The, the Masters women one is confounded by the fact that um, there was an extra age group added in and so that sort of distorts the numbers a little bit. Um, open men growing but small. Um, 
open women sort of has dropped a little bit over the last two yeah. years. And this, when you look at percentage, you know, because I do a lot of stat work yep. for road racing across Australia and you find that, you know, a stat that I've, I'm onto right now, the big growth area on road racing right across Australia was the half marathon for women. Mm. In many of the major ones, they were going well above 50% participation. What we've seen now, all of them are dropping in percentage mm. rates, but it doesn't mean there's necessarily a drop in numbers. It's just that men are coming back in. There was a drop away of men probably from 2010 through to about 2015. Mm. Men's participation rates are going back up. Women are either static or mm. slight growth or in some events like Gold Coast recently quite a drop away. Mm. And that's seeing these big swings. Yeah, like um, It's not uncommon now in a half marathon for the women's participation to be down about 46%, whereas it was up to about 52 in many events. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think there's a there's a, a change in focus in the general populace about what people are choosing to do for their sport and fitness and it's incumbent upon us as a sport and an organisation to be out there delivering what people want to do. Um, the, the strategic part we have to, I think, recognise at some level is that we are and will always be a niche product at the, at the performance end of our Correct. sport. Correct, and, and that's what the takeaway from Lakeside 10 was, that we, you know, the performance levels there was superb, but participation numbers, what, 700? We were actually down on the year before, mm. but the performance level went through the roof. Yeah, you know, we... So we've got to recognise that, and so yeah. well, we're not there f- to service people who, who want to have the high-fiving down the home straight and all that. That's not our event, is it? No, definitely not, and I think... We've got to recognise the nature of the market is that Athletics Victoria and state associations, even the national body, don't have the capacity to deliver fun runs and I don't think there's a strategic benefit. But hang on, our national body is delivering fun runs. Not lots of fun runs. Um, is it an area they should be full stop? Well, that's a very good question. I think you should ask their um, their auditor and their accountants. Um, I think... Uh, you know, it's the market. If the the market wants it, the market will deliver fun runs, and you know. But there's only so many players, and they yeah, are commercial yeah. operators well, who are pretty slick. And we're finding and with say sli- the Fairfax mm-hmm. example of a, a big multinational who's been doing um, Ironman and also now mm-hmm. the the UTA type trail races. Uh, they're going into these big conglomerations. You've also got. Uh, active or motive, sorry, yeah. um, you know, who are coming together. So uh, mm. uh, Pontfire's been taken over by them. Yeah. Uh, IMG are a major world player and mm. are, are acquiring events like um, Tough Mudder and Colour Run. Mm. So these guys are professional what they do. Yeah, and but even as professional massive organisations, fun runs are still incredibly marginal events. There's there's not big money to be made in fun runs and. But that's, that's why a growth like in Run Melbourne of a thousand finishes, yeah, they yeah, would be, yeah, definitely. They would but be I, celebrating I, it. I think it it speaks to the strategic risk of trying to be involved in the pure participation end of the sport. You know, I, the niche for I, certainly the niche for, niche for XCR is is performance at yeah, the at the at the sub elite and improving level and and as a pathway for yeah. juniors. Totally agree, but I reckon one product that we do have where we can capitalize on participation is the relay products. I think yeah. you know particularly Ekaden um Gels Park great event, you know there's a really good vibe at those relays yeah. and, and that's where I think it's more participatory. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I think the uh, the very interesting one in a rel- the relay space uh, is an event like Hood to Coast in America, which is the biggest relay in the world. It's not really a running event at all. It's this massive party mm. running from the top of a mountain to the beach. Um, I'm intrigued that those sorts of events haven't taken off more in Australia. You know, it's, there's a there's a lot of probably one of the biggest issues here though is um, permits, traffic management, traffic management plans, police involvement. It, uh, you know, you like know, Melbourne Marathon, I think, you know, conservatively, the r- traffic management budget for that event's two hundred fifty thousand mm. so. dollars. But uh, you know, it intrigues me because that's on the west coast of America. It's not a low regulation environment. Yet they have, you know, groups of people running through the night on the side of a road and, you know, buses all over the place. You know, that, that sounds, the, the sounds like the old Ekadon um, Hardcourt. Yeah. It's, it's like, uh, it is like the Ekadon, but much, much bigger. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that's a space where if you could create an event that would engage people, I, I think that would be incredibly interesting and popular. But is, is that our space, though? No, I, yeah, that's yeah. A, that's a very separate question. Yeah. I, you know, I yeah. I think um, I think there's a possibility something like that will turn up. So, yeah, um, just to return briefly to to round out the stats, so there are some interesting ones around uh, clubs that are growing and who's where. There over the five years of the fourteen to nineteen, only three clubs remained in Premier. For the two divisions, uh, Collingwood, Glen Huntley, and MUAC, Box Hill were there for uh, most of it, but dropped out last year. But will return for the women. For the women, yes, and will return next year. So I, I find that interesting. That, that you know there is there were seventeen clubs that have had a Premier Division club in the last six years. That's exciting that you get well, that it churn. Well, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you need that dynamism. Uh, and, and I think we do see that. That battle in Division 2, as we're seeing, uh, men and women, mm-hmm. um, is, is compelling. And, and you know, I'll, I will defend in, you know, to my death that the one up, one down works. Mm-hmm. Two up, two down, I think, is just not right for us. And also, I will keep defending the 10-team Premier. Yeah, definitely. You know, it has made it better. Yeah, t- you know, 10 teams... With promotion and relegation works really well in a lot of other sports, yeah. you know, notably amateur football. Um, it it creates interest if through most of the ladder all the way up to the end of the season. At uh, both ends. At, yeah, definitely. And that's at what bo- we both want. Ends. Both ends are, yeah. are very and, interesting. And the the second part of ne- that dynamism is that there has to be real prestige yep. that people want to fight for to be in Premier. Yep. And that's what we're seeing. Yeah. You know, APS has been one team that's complained about the 10 teams and wanted mm-hmm. to go to 11 and all that. But look at what they've now had to do yeah, to try and get up done, there. And it's the been work. good for them rather yeah, than being a negative. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so if we then look at uh, clubs that have grown over the last five years in terms of how many teams they put out per year, the big one is Mentone. Yeah. That's five, five years ago, they were... Slow burn, isn't it? it yeah, yeah, but it's been... You know, it's sustainable. You can't you can't just have one good year and then drop back down. In 2014, they were fielding just over three and a half teams per round. In 2018, they were fielding eight and a half teams per round. Who's, so, who's some of the big droppers though? The big the big drop. There are a couple of big droppers there. You know, the other ones that are grown. We should shout out to both Bendigo and Alzavs because yep. they didn't exist yep. independently in 2014, but they're going pretty well. Um, 
there are 16 clubs that have, have had a drop in how many teams, but from 14 to 18, there's three big ones, and we're talking big clubs. So South Melbourne, down about five teams on average. Um, and main, main reason, I know the reason, we're not getting rec runners in anymore. And yep. I think mm-hmm. what I'm hearing from them, it's the costing of the AV product. Is they yeah, don't, yeah, they don't want to invest that much when they can go and do Run Melbourne mm. or yep. do a local fun run. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, I think there's a there's a an argument about the balancing of the base and the packages, um, and and how you yeah, because because a lot of you bear in mind XCR is a totally different packet or prop property to um, track and field. Yeah, a lot of the rec runners do not want to be as don't want to go near a track, and they yep. never will. Yeah. So to try and convince them to sign up for AV is really hard when they're if you know six individual races, four relays, they can only make two or three, or they miss a couple. There's no value proposition. Mm. Yeah, all. yeah, definitely. So you know, I think that's a problem. The other two ones that have dropped, uh, Glen Huntley is down about three and a half teams. But they, they've been historically so high, oh, and not, such yeah. a good supporter. Of yeah, this, yeah, yeah. And Collingwood about the same, down about three yep. teams. But but once again, you know, that's at least in part they've yeah. dropped out of the open teams. And probably you know, looking at those three, because I'm I'm not aware of these stats until you're telling me, each of those have had very strong links to recreational running. Yep, very strong. So what we're seeing now, I think the pattern we're getting out of this is that the recreational runners are not coming through to AV. Yeah, it's de- to I the think same it's degree. Definitely a harder sell, and you know, you'd have and, and maybe we've orchestrated that with the recreational running membership. Yeah, maybe, and you know, I think um, the other part of it might be that there's a segment of them who pre-park run might have chosen to join AV, but they can now race every weekend for free. Great. Yep. Um, the uh, the last one to, to look at is. Clubs that have improved performance-wise. So you're measuring this by looking at uh, how many points you're delivering per team. Um, and we take out a couple of clubs with tiny sample sizes. Uh, the big ones, St. Stephen's, they're about 28 points more per team per year. Yeah, than and I think that'll continue as they start to build the women's squad. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, and they need to do that. Yep. Um, APS, just behind them, 26. Uh, Mentone and Terralgan both on 22. Okay, that's good for Terralgan. Yeah, it's yeah. good for Terralgan. You know, as we said earlier, they haven't they haven't won a premiership in the last five years, and they look on track to do that, which is exciting. You know, good to have. Although, in in some ways, you know, because one of my former clubs is involved in that with the demise of South Coast. Yes. In XCR, and then mm. still going a track that's been good for Terralgan. So yes. they've picked up a couple of the South Coasters. Mm. Yeah. So you know that that's um that's a sort of a brief overview of of how XCR is going. You know. The uh, we should recognise that XCR remains a very yeah. I suppose appealing I've been a bit doom and gloom. It, I, it, but yeah, no, yeah. it remains an incredibly appealing product. I think yep. um, the two uh, really Australia wide the two the two high functioning products within athletics are the XCR season. The rest of the country looks on very jealously, and Miles Club. They're the two things that athletes and clubs treasure and really want to be involved in um and so you know they, they're both working pretty well and you know there's always going to be improvement to be made it's maintaining what drives the success of the product while improving the bits that that need improving and that you know that's 
that requires a lot of a lot of critical thinking. Um, you know, you're not going to find those, well, those also, answers overnight. Yeah, adjusting to, to market needs yeah, and, yeah, and market definitely. changes. Yep. And we are seeing market changes. And you mentioned parkrun. Parkrun in the world of distance running in Australia has been a fundamental change uh, to the environment. It's had some really good positive things for the athletics fraternity, but also it's had some negatives as well. And mm. not just for the athletics clubs, but recreational running clubs too. Thanks for all that, Hamish, because it's been brilliant and I'm glad that you did put in the hard work to get those stats out. Mm. I think we better give the final word to Glenn Turner. What do you reckon? Do we give Glenn yeah, the final word? Yeah, he's the, the boss. Let's hear from him. Glenn Turner here at lovely Lake Wendouree. Been a pretty good day, hasn't it? It's been a sensational day. The weather, I don't know what we have done right this week. <laughs> we didn't quite get the roadworks uh, right on the way up from Melbourne this morning, but I tell you, the weather's been sensational. Yeah, it was even a little bit warm uh, when we were doing setup, but it's it's cleared over now. But good performances once again, Lake Wendouree. It's a good venue for us, isn't it? It's a great venue. I mean, the 15k has been well supported over the years. We've seen probably numbers down a little bit this year, which, as you and I have spoken around the the strategy of what we're doing with the XDR calendar. But you know, the the local community really supports it. You can't have we haven't got a better council. Ballarat Regional Council has been sensational. Shout out to Bernie Blood, who's a big supporter of ours and all of the uh, Ballarat Regional Athletic. Um, centre clubs who have just been sensational this weekend. Now, just moving on more generally, how are you seeing XCR19 tracking along? Look, I think it's going well. Um, it's not brilliant. It's it's going well. Um, we've seen a number of our, our junior competitors down, uh, particularly across our packages. We've also seen a number of women uh, drop off, unfortunately, in the open category. So I think there's some work yourself, myself, Ross Cunningham and Craig Wallace need to do in the off-season to analyse why we're seeing such big drop-offs. Um, perhaps it's an opportunity to shake the tree with XCR and see what we can do next year. A lot of comment I get from the, the punters that I know in the system say, look, the event presentation's fantastic, we've really raised that. But, yeah, there is concern that numbers seem to be just dropping away a little. I reckon we're at the stage that um, we've got our foundation really, really good for our event presentation, but I think we need to mix it up. We need to have a look at some alternative venues. Um, we also need to go back to our membership. We did that two years ago um, when we started equalising the distances for men and women. Uh, perhaps we've pushed the boundary too far. Uh, perhaps the women may want longer distance or shorter distances, but we need to get their involvement. We need to go and ask the people. Yeah, so leading on to XCR20, you're saying that we might throw a few things up in the air and see where they land? Look, I think it's about time we did. Um, I, I think our charter and our, our strategy has got to be how can we continually improve. A couple of things that I'm really passionate about, um, I'd like to see the Australian Cross Country Championships move earlier into August. Um, I know that you and I have had lots of conversations, um, surprisingly on the same same page for, for a change. Uh-huh. Uh, but if we had that national championships a little bit early. It gets it out of the half and full marathon windows, um, but it also moves it out of the Olympic cycle. Um, but it also means that we can push our state champs closer to a, to our nationals and not have three months uh, in between selection and competition. Um, probably also looking at uh, maybe, you know, why, why don't we put the Albert Park 10K as our first event? You know, why don't we do something radical? Um, one of the challenges that we've got is our summer calendar is now encroaching into April and as a team and and you and Ross and Craig and I have spoken this at length we kind of wait until that's finished no way I think we should be catering for our uh, winter and cross-country runners and we should be running um, our calendars to suit the membership and if that means starting competition to the national so be it and give ourselves an opportunity to spread the calendar out and 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 make it and, and create a calendar sorry that makes sense We've also got the tail end. Um, we've got virtually the XCR calendar running right into the Shield calendar. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a good thing. You know, if, if we had more resources, it'd be great to see cross-country go all year round. You know, if we can tail it to the trail running series and, you know, I don't think it's any surprise that, that they're the sorts of progressions we're looking at and the, and the strategic decisions next year. Um, but I think we can do a better job of, of placing our events. And perhaps, you know, I'd love to go back to Geelong. You know, we haven't been back to... Um, Geelong for a couple of years. There's some other venues that we've looked at, and you know, let's shake it up a bit. Well, there's also Bendigo too, because Bendigo are back and really supporting us. And I think uh, as an association, we have to uh, support those venues that are supporting us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's a thriving community up there. Um, we have we're bringing on or have brought on Shepparton um, Athletics Club. We're working with Sean Whip and his team with Warnable and Ross Cunningham. So there's plenty of other avenues, and and why not look at a race up at Warnable or something around Shepparton or even going up to Albury-Wodonga. Um, as long as we've got time to prepare and make sure that we've got the right distances. The other thing that I'm really keen to, to get the feedback on is do we have the right distances? Like we've run a 15k here at Ballarat, you know, I'd love to see a half marathon up here. You know, that extra lap, not that I'm a middle distance runner, but if we have weather like today, putting another, another lap on, you'll see some great half marathon times. We just had a good conversation with Steve Monaghetti about that, and he's got a, an opposing view, but uh, we'll get on to that later. Uh, mentioning trail series, yeah, we did put on the Big V trail series a couple of years ago in GT, and it did it flopped. It, uh, we really didn't get the numbers, but we have got a trial race on this year, which you're aware of, which is going to be on the Sunday of the grand final weekend. Uh, we've decided now that uh, we haven't really done promo. We're going to get into that in the next week, but that's going to be, if you've got an XCR series ticket, you're going to get free entry into that event. Sounds good, doesn't it? I think that's that's fantastic. You know what? Um, we, we try and keep each year our prices for participating in this sport at the same level. You know, we cop a bit of flack for a 5 buck or 10 buck increase here, and there's always the, the, the naysayers out there that go, you know, we're destroying the sport. That's bullshit. We're not destroying the sport. People are still participating. Um, and quite frankly, if you want to complain about the price, go play hockey. I don't really care. You know, go do something else. However, the people that support us understand that we put every single dollar back into the sport, and if we can provide another opportunity and the trail series is that you know you've been pushing this for the past two or three years you know working with the trail series team you know that's just a bonus you know it's like our relationship with um, retail prodigy giving everyone a 30 buck nike voucher we don't get anything from it we give it back to our membership because you know that that's our charter all right, GT, thanks so much for your insights and uh, a very nice discussion there about XCR because it's going to be a focus in this next podcast and I really look forward to having Hamish in and uh, he'll go, he'll do the number crunching and you've given us a good strategy overview. And thanks for the support for our listeners for the podcast and also for you chairing it. I still don't know how you managed to sit for two and a half hours with Nick Wall last week, but, you know, Hamish will be a, 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 certainly a, a different view. GT out. A couple of interesting things he threw up there, one of them being, you know, traditionally Giles Park leads out. It is just now, I think mm. that's now probably 15 years or more that we've been out there and it's a great venue. Lakeside 10, the opening round? What would you, what would Melbourne Uni think about that? Uh, I, I think the the traditional bookends to the season, uh, Giles Park and the Tan Relays, um, have come to serve a really good uh, exchange point between the two seasons, between cross-country, the, between the XCR season and the track and field season. I don't, I don't think there's a barrier to having races before them or after them. What I, d- I do think would remain valuable would be having those two races at the same point in their respective seasons in that the Gels Park is after national champs 
and tan relays is just before the start of the track season starts. So I don't, I don't think there's any impediment to having an XCR race before Gels Park or an XCR race after Ten Relays. There is an XCR race after Ten Relays. Mm, which it, we'll talk about. Which yep. is the Melbourne Marathon. Yeah. Well, well, there's also the trail race. Yeah, also, also yeah. the trail race. Yeah. So, but, the, you know, there's nothing, there's no fundamental impediment to having a race in the Ten Race XCR series either before or after. Yeah. But, but those, keep the, the relative positions. Yeah, because, yeah. because that very nicely draws yep. your track athletes in or mm. out of your, your cross-country season. But put your team manager's hat on. How easy it would be round one not being a relay when you've got registrations to get in and all those sort of uh, things? I, I think that it'd be a change. I don't think it... Yeah, from, from a sort of management club perspective, I don't think that matters sufficiently to decide... You well, know. I suppose one of the other compelling things, you know, we, we're really stoked with Lakeside this year. Mm. Um, and we just know that if we get a better slot for it, which could be climatically, but also away from major events like the Gold Coast, as mm. it has been around for quite a while now, what could it be? This is Australia's premier 10K race. Yeah, I know Wayne had a great result up in Sydney for the, the uh, Sydney Harbour 10 last weekend, you know, with mm. Lisa's run and all that. But nothing compares, as we see from the stats, no. to Lakeside now. Definitely not. And, you know, there's nothing... I don't think there's anything stopping it. Um, you know, at some level, uh, there's not that much stopping it going head-to-head with some other big events. You know, I, I, think, I think you might... I think but but if Launceston comes back next year, and it will, mm. we believe, we don't want to be near it, no, honestly. No, Strategically, you don't, because we know we could lose three, four, five of our top Victorians yeah, who yeah. are the ones that are bolstering up our field. Because, uh, you know, the other thing about Lakeside, at this stage, there is no prize money. So they've got to be there for their club or they want a performance over 10K on a, you know, on a measured course and a fast mm. and accurate course. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, I think... I think the uh, that's one of the big considerations of the calendar. I think the the clashes with sort of premier events. I think you know there, there's the, to be avoided as much as possible. I th- I, you know, I, I, my feeling is that that's hurt the numbers this year as as much as any as any other individual factor. You know, there are other factors around park run and you know a rec running price via an AV Rego price but but my feeling is that the back-to-backs going head-to-head with Gold Coast I think those things um, suppress numbers and you know as much as possible avoiding those is good but you know like a longer season you know I I think that's that's an interesting prospect I I think there's a philosophical piece of work to do about whether you can have an XCR season overlapping with a track and field season. I, you know, I, I think that's a... Well, that's we sort a, of tried that a little bit with the Big V Trail Series and it didn't work. Yeah. It um, just didn't work. Uh, but I, I will agree with Glenn that, you know, people don't stop running road races in October and only start again in April. People run road races year-round. That's right. And, and people want to run road races yep. year-round. And, and so is this another lure of, of increasing value of the AV membership, of not just having that delineation between XCR and track and field, that we could 
you know, and well, as we're seeing quite nicely with the throwers at the moment, they're getting out and doing their winter comp and doing quite nicely. So, mm. you know, throwing in June, July, August in Melbourne, you don't think is ideal, but gee, they're getting get some good performances. So does that does that mean that we've got to look at what are we doing over the summer and can we uh, increase value in AV membership by 5K road races or trail races or whatever? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, I think you've got to be mindful of what we spoke about earlier that, that these events are often pretty marginal and you don't want to be chasing the the broad market. You've still got to focus on yep. your, your, your target, which is to the performance end of the road racing circuit. But, yeah, there's nothing... I, you know, I think that would be a, a good value proposition for AV members to to get some road racing over summer. You know, I don't, I don't think there's that much interest in cross-country racing over summer. But Cross trail racing there is. Yeah, tra- trail yeah. racing there definitely is. Um I think that the trail racing sort of product product and market is pretty well. It's already serviced. Yeah, yeah, serviced. You know, we don't. We just need to be engaging there. We don't need yeah. to be creating. Yeah. So, but yeah, you know, I think that's definitely. It's and it's just important to be thinking about these things strategically and being agile about it. That we know the market's going to change and change pretty quickly. Um, and if we can be there, then it's going to grow the sport. Well, wise words, Hamish Beaumont. Thank you so much for the work you've done on those stats, but also your your vision across XCR because I know you're passionate about this product uh, and you drive uh, Melbourne Uni beautifully into it. Um, where it goes, let's see. But let's let's also celebrate what XCR is, which is the preeminent series in Australia, if, if not one of the best series in the world, we believe. Uh, but we've still got to little, do a little bit of work, a little bit of soul-searching, I think, on how we drive some more numbers and how we become adaptive to the changing scenery in, in Australian running. Agreed, Tim. It's a, it's a great product and, uh, you know, people really enjoy getting out there most weekends, having a run around, putting their club colours on. Sydney on Sunday, Hamish. Another one of your favourites, Lisa Waitman, had a bit of a day out she did uh not just a best for 40 plus but a pb uh, PB so at 31 3155 and a over 40s world record yeah. breaking Sinead diver's record from launceston last year correct 3158 so what do we say about lisa well it's exciting to see that she's running so well and we see it at Melbourne Uni in training pretty regularly. She's often hitting session PBs, and that's exciting to see. You know, she's aiming to make her fourth Olympic team. Only four women have ever done that in athletics for Australia, and so I think. Yeah, I think one of the stories with Lisa, which makes her a little bit different, yeah, you because know, we are seeing uh, and Tammy, as we talked about with the Lake Wendaree, is another example of more mature women coming into the sport and doing really, really well. Lisa's been in the sport since she was a little athlete. So we're talking 25 to 30 years here of involvement in the sport. Because I can hark back to to Lisa running Zatapec back around probably 2000 or 2001, coming stone marvellous last in that event. Uh, then went through a series of um, bad injuries. Uh, I know she went up to the Gold Coast and ran the half marathon, already knowing that she had a bit of a fracture and then <laughs> bang. So one of those classic rookie mistakes. This girl's been around a long time, but producing her very best at the age of 40-plus. You've got to take your hat off to that, don't you? Yeah, definitely. And to the team around her, too. That it's Yeah, well, Team Telford. And, yeah, and, 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 and Lockie, Lockie and the whole yeah. family. You know, she works four days a week for IBM. Her sister and her parents 
sort of all worked together to look after her sister's son and Pete. And then, so you know, there's a massive team to make that all work. And uh, but then you've also got Master Coach Telford. Oh, you know, he's uh, he's almost beyond peer in, in getting athletes right for big races. You know, she's... We were talking about this the other day. There's, she must have run under the Olympic qualifier, the Tokyo Olympic qualifier. She must have run under it eight or nine times. You know, I think she's only run 12 or 13 marathons. And I think in eight or nine of them, she's run sub... You know, sub-29. So so a level of consistency. Now, lower to colours at the Gold Coast, but in discussions with her, it seems that a bit of a shoe issue there. Yeah, shoe ankle thing. I'm not sure of the finer details. So a bit of a roll and then just took the confidence or the ability to to kick home. Um, But, you know, we're talking longevity here and the ability at the age of 40 plus, she turned 40 in February, I think, to just keep pushing and pushing. It's, um, yeah, it's pretty remarkable, isn't it? Yeah, it's exciting. And, uh, you know, I think she's she's got a pretty clear view of what she wants to achieve. And, um, you know, I, I think she came out of Rio disappointed with her performance. She was ill in Rio yep. and wasn't happy with with her, her performance at the Olympics. So I, I, I think there's a... Part of her goal is of some redemption in Tokyo, but that team is going to be incredibly difficult to make. It will be, yes, and they're all starting to line up at the moment to try and get into it, and it's, yes. it will be a very hard team to uh, crack into. Um, but if, if you're running 31.55 for 10K... On the Sydney course, which I wouldn't say is as quick as Launceston either. No, certainly yeah, not. There, no. You know, there's, um, this could be worth another 5 to 10 because of that. Yeah, it'll be this. Uh, it, what it will make is this weekend at the uh, the Australian Half Marathon Champs incredibly interesting. Yeah, we will preview that now. Uh, Lockie Barber's popped out again yeah. <laughs> in Sydney and run. I think identical time to Gold Coast was that right? Twenty nine fifty nine. Yes, and yeah. you know I think that that probably shows you the speed of the course and probably sort of shines a favourable light again on Lisa's result. That well, that's right because Lockie's run. Yeah. Right on 30, and she's run 31.55. That yeah. says, well, okay, that really is a quick time then. Yeah, exactly right. So a good event up there in um, in Sydney. So they, they have had some you know, good winners in the past. I think Lisa's time, well, she now holds the first and second fastest time on that course too. The course yeah. has changed slightly mm. and not right now for being super no. quick. But, um, yeah, the thirty yeah, her, the second best time on that course is 32.13, yeah. and that was by her in 2013. So that's going back six years now. And then uh, Maddie Heiner-Hills, 32.21 in 2015. Brickacek in 2013 ran 32.24 and Tamsit in 2012 32.39. They're the fastest five times on that course. Lisa's gone 31.55. Yeah. And moves her to number six all time on the Aussie list. Yeah, well. For, uh, for 10K Road. 10K Road. Yeah. Well, that's a great result and as you say, um, leads in nicely to the uh, the Australian Half Marathon champs. Now, other results floating around. We had Run Melbourne on the weekend. Um, now, you know, obviously, we're more AV focused, and we had Lake Wendaree, but a few names popped up in Run Melbourne. Dave Ridley had a good win in sixty-seven minutes. So, man of the people, man of the people, yes, probably uh, one of the nicest blokes you'll meet yeah. on a 
run around the town on a Monday or a Wednesday night. Oh, I saw him last night at training. I saw him work f- there. five times, I reckon, going yeah. around the town while I was standing there in the cold. Bouncing back from a yeah. frustrating Gold Coast marathon. Yeah. So cool to see. Yeah, so 67.45 for Dave. Marty Mashford, second. One of yeah. Hamish's former old friends. Chargers. Yeah. Yep. man. Yep, so 71 for him. And former Australian marathon champ, Jai Edmonds, in third place, 71.41. In the 10K, we had Emily Guy pop up to have a win there. So, and then in Second place, Madeline Hills. Go, Maddie. On Maddie. the cu- on the comeback trail, claiming it was just an easy run for charity, but <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> running thirty seven and a half. Minutes. If you're an Olympic finalist, though, you know, <laughs> yeah. dual Olympic finalist. Yeah, we we all know Maddie, and she's got that lovely bubbly personality. But we know that there's a very competitive spirit in there. But uh, oh, yeah. e- Emily was was always out to win that thirty six sixteen for Emily Guy. Um, but August, or you know, asked the question: the Essendon girls didn't have a team at Lake Wendorine, was have lost top spot on the ladder, Hamish, and Emily's gone out and run 10K and run Melbourne. But anyway... It's got to hurt. Got to hurt. That's right. All right, so run Melbourne. Um, do you realise there was a marathon in Sydney over the weekend as well? Well, I only realised <laughs> because I saw it on uh, Liam Adams' social media. Yes, yeah, so Liam Adams not only ran a 10K the week after running such a superb um, Gold Coast marathon, he's then popped out and run the West Links Blacktown. Apparently just a just a, a long run on the weekend, <laughs> Yeah, he, he suggested. Not, a, not an effort or anything, just, you know, rolling it out. Yeah, well, it was, all, it was also the, well, he ran 221. So if that's just, <laughs> and he had Matt Cox, who's a regular down here at the Melbourne Marathon in 222. So I don't reckon it, Liam had it all his own way. I reckon Coxie would have been pushing him along there. So and there was a bit of a gap to uh, Alex Matthews in 228. But did you see who won the female marathon? Oh, here we go. Drum roll. Charlotte Wilson, 244. Wowzers. So, yet again, another Essendon girl, <laughs> not yeah. quite at Lake Wendery. So, 234 uh, for Charlotte. I think that, indi- I reckon that would have been the one where I'm just going to go in there. So, there is a bit of money online at, at this event. So, the Adams Wilson households now, you know, I think there'll be a couple of bottles of Moe floating around, but after that one, but <laughs> it, it's a good weekend. But yeah. what does that say? We've seen Charlotte around for quite a while. Very good steeplechase, a great track runner, which was her bread and butter. But a 2.30.44 marathon, which I reckon she wasn't going to the limit here, I reckon we're looking at another sub 2.40 if she decides to go down that path. And I don't know if Charlotte wants well, to. Well, she did marathons. say uh, when the nomination period was floating around for state cross country, often the national well, state cross country team at nationals, yeah, she did sort of pass and sort of, well, now it makes sense, but at the time she said, yeah, her season was headed in a, in a different direction. Wow. Okay. Well, this is interesting. Maybe we will see. Or you might have to have a chat to her about Melbourne too. Mm. Um, because, you know, that's the thing. We've got another sub 240, which is becoming more prevalent with the Australian mm. women now. It's, uh, I wouldn't say they're a dime a dozen, but we're getting a lot more of the girls who, you know, when you look at Neera Jarab from um, Western Australia getting the 237 in Gold Coast, the, the numbers are just going up and up. So so interesting times there. So, so good to see Liam out again, but gee, you know, Another marathon, so it's a few races. Kawauchi esque. Yeah, well, <laughs> not quite, but um, yeah. in the same vein as. Yeah, yeah. excellent. Not, not, well, race, not racing in a suit or. Yuta Shatara ran, what did he run on the Gold Coast? 207. And yeah. he's got the, the marathon grand championship in Japan in a matter of months. So he jokingly said after Gold Coast that if the selection race for Tokyo was you know, the next day, he'd be all good for it. So I think maybe the marathon does send you appropriately mad and, you know. Just it becomes the norm. Well, it does. Um, interesting times. So with Lisa Waitman, obviously that that was 
for us, maybe the highlight of the weekend, world record. It was the number two world record for a Victorian over that weekend. Uh, we'll talk about the other ones soon. Uh, we did, Lisa went out of her way to give us a little bit of a soundbite after um, her event on, in Sydney, which we are very grateful for. So let's have a listen to Lisa Waitman. It's been a busy few weeks recovering from rolling my ankle on the Gold Coast in the monsoon rain, then running sub-16 at Parkrun. I'm extremely excited about the run on the weekend in Sydney as we decided to skip an early marathon this year and focus on running some shorter races and it has really paid off. My 2018 was super busy, both personally and professionally. Lachlan and I, we built a house from the ground up whilst being parents, working four days a week at IBM and ANZ Bank and training for the Com Games and the New York City Marathon. My training has indicated that I've been in sub 32 minutes in the past in the lead up to the Rio and uh, London marathons, but I haven't had a 10K race to test myself out in. So this was the perfect opportunity in Sydney in fantastic conditions and such a beautiful warm morning. With the introduction of the carbon plate technology in our shoes, the times are certainly coming down and the race results just don't lie. I typically don't get to train as well over winter whilst combining work and running and a bit of parenting. <laughs> um, and so this year we've decided to take the work break for a month to focus on training. And I'm really looking forward to being in shape for my next marathon and seeing what I can do. Uh, anyway, good luck to everybody running on the weekend in the half marathon and, and throughout the rest of the AV season. Because, uh, yeah, it's an exciting time to be a distance runner and I'm proud to be part of the team. Just harking back to Run Melbourne too, I do keep stats on all of these things. They bounced up a thousand competitors or finishers on the previous year, Hamish, so they'd be pretty happy with that. Definitely. Uh, fun runs are a marginal business at best. Um, as the Fairfax team would know, having been acquired recently, I think, uh, yeah, that's, that's a big result. Yeah, I think they bottomed out around 2016, I think. Uh, result, they were down to about 13,000 finishes. And then since then, they've done put, run Melbourne Soul Mode, have put a lot of work into that event. And uh, quite an iconic race for Melbourne in that where it's based at Fed Square. And um, the, the course, the new course is quite nice because it goes down to Docklands and up around the, the iconic tan and um, the sports precinct around the MCG. Uh, but yeah, to bounce 1,000 finishes in one year, that's a good result for them. So well done. Run Melbourne team. So not only Lisa Waitman broke a world record on the weekend, do you know who else broke a world record? Uh, the King of Ballarat, Steve Modigetti. The King of Ballarat, exactly right. Steve Modigetti. Uh, look, this one I'm not sure if it will be ratified because our Ballarat course is not certified. So we've never had the Ames measures out there. We've something we've reckon we should do because Mona's performance I think was more than a minute quicker than any other 55 plus has ever run for 15k. Uh, great performance uh, once again as you said 41st in the, the whole field took the scalps of some, um, <laughs> some good performers behind him and I reckon Mona actually loves that. I can just sense when I talk to him that yeah, a bit of pride that he's, he's kicked a few young asses behind him and, um, and I think he enjoys that. He's in good form 318 per kilometre for Mona for that race. Yeah, very, uh, very impressive. That the whisper is that he's he's pretty aggressive on some of those Sunday runs at the moment. Um, well, this is the conversation we were having in the office yesterday. That um, to run three eighteen per k for fifteen k, you've got to be doing some pretty good training. So you're not just going out for your five minute per k jog anymore. He's must be getting out there, and obviously it's that long run that he 
he's sort of reveling in, which he always has. Mm. It's been a mainstay of Mona's career. But we did catch up with Mona afterwards to have a little bit of a chat. Steve Monaghetti, back on your home turf here, Lake Wendaroo, you must love it. I do, especially on days like today. We've uh, we've got a perler of a day, so, you know, it can always be, obviously, on the lake can be a bit exposed, but today was just the perfect day, and, you know, the runners have obviously delivered. Now, personally, you'd be pretty happy with that time. I'm very happy. I think, I don't know if we keep sort of records anymore, but I think I, I was well under the 55 to 60 uh, age group for a 15k road and I think I actually may have ran faster today than I did here a few years ago so you don't do that you know I'm obviously slowing down so to actually get one back I'll, I'll take that. You had Brett Coleman just behind you to take his scalp? Yeah and normally Brett would run through and pass me he's a very tactically shrewd runner and runs really well there were a couple of guys who ran away from me but um, I think I was just in the right pack and could hang on for long enough get a drag through and obviously I know where I am around the lake so I just hung on and tried to not let those k's drop away too much and got to the finish line and probably you know a couple ahead of me Will Ford ran really well from Ballarat and a couple of guys that I probably um, thought I might have them they got me and I got a few others, so swings and roundabouts. In the end, I'll, I'll take it. So a good day for Steve Monaghetti. Very good day for me, and I, you know, I think a good day, obviously, for the... We love having this event here because we love to think that the lake, you know, is a place that gets used really well, and have an elite running race like the 15k road here is fantastic, and, you know, I think uh, today we've we put on a good day. It's not always like this, but just to have, you know, this event here, and we, we think we've got a pretty strong running culture here, so that reinforces it. Now, we've thrown up the idea of maybe turning this one into a half. Do you reckon you can do the extra lap? <laughs> I was happy to stop at two and a half today. I wouldn't want to, want to keep going for another one. You, you see a day like today, and it would be fine. Yeah. But you just think of the days when, you know, maybe on the other side there's that really stiff headwind, and you think, God, do I want to push into that again? That would be challenging. Now, you hark back to the days of the Caulfield 10K, the notorious, well, the legendary Caulfield 10K back in the 80s where we used to have massive uh, results there. Two weeks ago at Lakeside, 14 guys under 30 minutes. When was the last time you saw that, Mona? Well, it would have been the Caulfield days, I think, and I'm not sure whether... Uh, I used to think maybe this isn't 10K because we'd all run 30 seconds quicker than we should have there. And that almost happened at Albert Park last week, and um, I think just now you're seeing that real transition through a lot of young guys getting in really strong packs, but holding the pace. I used to... You know, I, I've been... We, we've both been around a long time, but I've been around, you know, a very long time. I used to see people go out ambitious and get really tired and I would run through a lot of runners doesn't seem to be happening as much now so I think there's, there's something in transition where people seem to be training more for for distance stuff so I think we've got people you know out off the 5k at the track you know I always complain about our, our males especially not getting out running the distance stuff I think we're getting that back now and that's being reinforced in the depth of the, of the results and you now the women have been showing us up for a few years so um, I think the men are starting to get their act together and we're starting to run fast again which makes you know makes me very very happy. Yeah it's pretty exciting times now next event's Cruden Farm I have a, or probably assume you're not going to be down there for Cruden for 12k cross country? No I, unfortunately I'm away I even had a, you know I think I told you Tim I had a, a speaking engagement this morning it wasn't ideal preparation so I, I kind of got away with it today and I don't like having things on race weekend so I try to keep it free but I've just got I've got a bit on at the moment so I get in where I can and I, I haven't been to Cruden Farm I'd love to run there because fantastic venue you know I was at St Anne's and you know some of the courses you, you, uh, you, you 
you're getting to now are, are terrific. I, I missed Anglesey as well, so the, my, the, the good ones I haven't been able to get to, to be honest, but, you know, I've just got to take it when I can, and, you know, today's obviously a, a local one I really wanted to support, so it's nice to be able to be here and run this one. Yeah, well, great to see you supporting the local event, as you normally do, even if you're not running, and it's uh, just awesome to catch up with you again, Mona. Always a pleasure, and great to have you guys here. Thanks, Tim. The King of Ballarat on his home turf. Not that keen about doing a 21k around Lake Wintery though. So I think he wants the 15 to stay. He's happy with that one. Yeah, I've always speculated around having a half marathon in Ballarat that finished at the lake but started somewhere yeah. west. And so you you tucked into some tailwind for about... 8K, and then you maybe did two laps of the lake to finish, something like that. All right, leave that with us. It was, you know, Mono was saying too that they'd love to have a, um, they can't do a tunnel over to Victoria Park because of water and stuff or the cost, but get a bridge over the highway, get to Victoria Park and mm-hmm. and then include Victoria Park into the circuit so you're not doing the constant laps of Lake mm-hmm. Wendorie. But anyway, leave leave that one with us. There's yeah, a bit of planning there, to be done then. There are some tasty tailwinds in, yep. in Ballarat most yeah. years. You know, yeah. get a westerly and you know, if you've got 8Ks of that and you got to the lake... It'd be a pretty fast race. Yeah, but it's once again great to have Moner up there. He's uh, he just brings something special, I think, when he's he's running, especially when he is running. And great to see. Although he probably should have been DQ'd, I'm surprised you guys didn't lodge a protest here. He was wearing the um, Ballarat YCW uniform. Oh, I did notice that. I do love a bit of old school kit. Yeah, it wasn't heritage round though. He didn't have the you know the the he wasn't off the leash to do it. So the uh, the half an hour to protest has well and truly lapsed. It has. No, no one's put their fifty dollars in, so no, I think it'll slide through. Yeah, it can imagine someone doing that to the reaction to a protest against Moner and trying to kick him out of that event. Um, but yeah, great to catch up with Steve Monaghetti. Sam Rizzo, what do you know about Sam, Hamish? Uh, under the watchful eye of Rich Coleman, yep. uh, the guru of, uh, of wheelchair racing, he's he's up and coming. He's, his goal is Tokyo, and that's been his goal for a while now. And he looked very good out there on Saturday. He was... Uh, I think he was enjoying the conditions because the wheelies cop it more than the runners do if it's windy. It's just a hard, hard work to push into the wind. But I think he was very happy with the time. So Yeah, and it was without um, Richard being around. Richard uh, was one of the guest speakers at the Little A's uh, Centre Fest. So he was down at Preston and couldn't make it for this race, which he was, you know, well, you know, great that he was supporting Little A's and he is a great ambassador for them. It meant Sam was out there basically by himself with... Uh, Andrew Wood on the bike, uh, and we did hear from Sam about his um, roll around the lake. Sam Rizzo, congratulations. Local territory up here at Ballarat, and you had a good roll around the Lake Wendoree circuit. Yeah, I love uh, racing in Ballarat and uh, training around, oh, sorry, racing around Lake Wendoree where I train uh, most weeks in winter. It's, yeah, good, good hit out. So, what sort of time did you get today? I believe I got sub 34, which I'm really happy with pushing by myself out here. Yeah, you had the cyclists out there with you as well. I think Andrew Wood was there escorting you away around, but uh, it must get pretty lonely out there as well. Yeah, uh, it's a lot of, well, I suppose, in your head, just trying to keep on pushing and uh, you know the circuit and where you're going, so just know when to attack and when to rest, I guess. Yeah. Now, you've done Com Games, you've done World Juniors. Uh, no world chance for you this year. You missed the qualifying, but Tokyo's on the horizon. Yeah, so uh, training hard to uh, to try and get into Tokyo next year. It's been my long-term goal since I started. We sort of picked uh, 2020 as the ideal time to try and get into the Paralympics. But, yeah, it's been a dream of mine since I was an eight-year-old, uh, meeting Richard Coleman and then later that year seeing him uh, on the tally win his first ever gold medal at the Paralympics. So 
Yeah. He's a pretty inspirational figure and also obviously a big part of your life. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I started training with Richard back in, I believe, 2014 and he started coming to Ballarat uh, every week and yeah, hasn't really stopped. So yeah, he's, he's a crazy man, but I love him, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yes, definitely a crazy man. Uh, with your racing coming up, you've got uh, City to surf in a couple of weeks. Now, does that frighten you or do you look forward to that hilly course there in Sydney? Yeah, I, oh, I did City to surf for the first time last year and I absolutely loved it. Um, I'm a bit of a climber, so it, it should be a good race. Yeah, we'll see what we can do. Well, I can imagine some of those out of control downhills too could be pretty frightening. Yeah, yeah, well, um, I'll try and stick in my chair this year. Um, last year I had a bit of a stack, but still managed to finish uh, finish strong. Yeah, so looking forward to see what I could do. Now you're moving on to half marathons too, you're heading off to Japan. Yeah, so I've uh, got the half marathon later in the year in Otia, Otia half marathon with the Japanese. Um, and then we've got another, I think, a half marathon before in Melbourne somewhere, um, just giving it a good hit. Well, great to catch up with you, Sam. Well done today, and we'll definitely be following your career from here on. Thank you very much. So hopefully there, it's another Tokyo contender. Um, and let's just see where Sam, you know, great guy, really, you know, very, presents so well, speaks so well. well. Um, good to see the Roly, uh, the, the, wheel, the, the wheelies supporting our events. So we had a couple that, um, including a young guy, uh, uh, sorry, a new guy, Craig. Um, I had a chat to Craig um, before Lake Wendere as well. He has only been in the chair for three years. Prior to that, he was a competing runner and triathlete until an accident meant he's now confined to the wheelchair. So he's new to us and really, you know, it's great talking to Craig because he was so excited about another race and the opportunity. And he knows he's not with Sam, you know, but he's got a really good personality and a great sense of humour and great for, because what happens with Craig, he'll then get swallowed up by the field and then he'll find a slot within the field, the running field, and uh, just slips into that. So once again, total integration in our sport and that's a good thing, isn't it, Hamish? Yeah, definitely. I, you know, that's one of the... I think we shouldn't undersell... You know, that was one of the glorious things about the 2018 Com Games was just how integrated the sport is and can be. And if you're, you know, as an organisation not doing that, you're letting the sport down. We, you know able-bodied and para, men and women, can all compete at the same time. There's nothing stopping that. And if organisations aren't doing that, they're not doing their job. And so, you know, that it's delightful to see para-athletes out there competing, you know, both in uh, XCR but all through summer at track and field. They're all in the state. They all score points. They're all in the teams together. And, you know, that's great. I, you know, it'd be... Uh, yeah, the sport may have its problems, but also the sport leads the way. In many yeah. ways, too, yeah, um, yeah, in inclusion. You know, I think uh, we've really got to pat ourselves on the back for what we do. But also, yet again, not just you know be content with what's happening. How else? What? What's more? You know, who? Else, which other groupings can come in? Yeah, yeah, know. definitely. You know, and, and there are there are still uh, the small patches where we we've got a bit of work to do. I think the IWF have to bite the bullet and equalise the different distances for junior cross country. There's no reason why boys and girls should be running different distances. And then the really tough... That'd be a nice one, actually, because it makes our calendar planning so much. Yeah. That, that, that little change of distance, mm. 
makes our job a lot harder actually people don't realize when we're trying to put these grids together and that's why you get anomalies like at um at cruden farm that some of the younger kids are running further than the older yeah, kids yeah. and why it's because of these things about different distances mm. we have to have at championships like bandura is, is the key we've got to line up with all the national distances there which means that there will be changes elsewhere yeah, yeah. anyway um I was down in Tassie a couple of weeks ago, down at Pontville. Um, I was there for a coaching course, but uh, the state cross-country just happened to be on, Hamish, and you and I were in contact during the day, weren't we? Yeah, we were. A recent export from Victoria, Mikael down there. Um, He just seems to like getting new singlets. (laughs) Melbourne new singlet, a UTAS singlet, a city of Norwich singlet. He... uh, and soon to be wearing a, an England singlet. Yeah, uh, in, in Canada at yeah. uh, Vancouver. Marathon, yeah, Vancouver Marathon. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, it's just great. Uh, so the, the state cross country was on down at Pontville, which was the home of the 2000, I think it was 2006, um, but don't uh, tell me if I get that one wrong. Uh, the, sta- uh, the national cross country was at Pontville. Um, another big day for Victorian, I think. Lee Troop won that one. Oh, I think you're right. And we had guys like Collis Birmingham in the team. Very hard team to beat that one. Uh, but it, I caught up with Nick. It's always good to chat to Nick because he's a pretty interesting character. But he had his colours lowered on the day. He did. Uh, by a guy half his age. Half his age with yeah. more hair. With more hair. Although Nick's working on that. Um, it's uh, He's quick Sam. He's uh, Yeah, he's Sam Clifford was the guy who got him. And you know, he, he's now an international cross-country runner. So... Yeah, yeah, and um, there's you know Tassie's a little haven of of distance running sometimes, and uh yeah, well, I suppose you know, given given my experience in so many big AV events and having you know geared XCR or you know led XCR from about two thousand five or six when I took over the committee, going down there and seeing a smallish cross country event, the way they presented, I was thinking, oh, if only if mm. only there was a little bit of investment here or investment mm. there. The atmosphere was really nice. It was, um, yeah, I don't know. There was just something special about this. But the numbers weren't as strong as I think they could be. Mm. And one thing I did hear is that people will turn up to the normal Athletic South events Mm. uh, and do those quite regularly on a Saturday or Sunday. But (laughs) as soon as the word championship gets put in, Mm. they don't think they're right for it. Yeah, and, you know, Tassie's got a really interesting structure that, that often clubs a bit like uh, Brack will run individual races all winter so you might you might run half a dozen times over winter just against your club mates uh, and the massive cross country event of the year is is not the state championships no. but the all schools the yep. all schools is a truly enormous event yep. which AV have been managing in the last couple of years yes yeah. and um, and so you know I think that overwhelms the state championships a little yep. bit Um but the thing is, we've got adults who can't do the all schools, mm. so why yeah. are they not turning up to a championship? And yeah. it, it was a well-organised event, really good atmosphere, as I yeah, said, yeah, yeah. and and you get to see Nick Earl. Um, yeah. What more yeah. do you want? What so more do you want? Yeah. He's a uh, he's a fine specimen, and he is a relentless racer. There is he is. Yeah. But it, well, we talked about that. So we, here's a little interview with Nick, and he, he, one of the interesting one he talks about is the the night of the ten k's. So here's Nick Earl. Nick Earl, unusual scenery here for us. We're in Tasmania today with the Tasmanian Cross Country Chance where you came second. How was that run out there today? Oh, no good for me today, Tim. The hip locked up. It was, uh, didn't warm up properly, so I got beaten someone half my age. <laughs> but not bad. You got Sam Clifford who did so well at the, um, the Cross Country earlier this year, so he's, he's pretty good opposition. Yeah, he's a sol- he's a solid kid to be honest. But like, yeah, it would have been good if um, if I was on form today, and that would have been a good tussle, I reckon. 
Although you have had a pretty, well, you, we know you race a lot, but the last few weeks, plus uh, coming back from the UK, it's been pretty heavy on you. Yeah, so I, was do, I did a few races. I had a conference out in France, and then I did a 5K on the track on the hottest day of the year in England, which was annoying, so that was a shocker. And then I did uh, a couple of local races, and then, then did Night of the PBs on the, um, on the track at Parley Hill, and that was another hot one. And uh, it was great with the beer tents and everything in lane four on the on the straights, but and the atmosphere is unbelievable. But yeah, it was just too hot for for me running running fast. So yeah, I wasn't too happy. But then last week Albert Park, so I managed to uh, make amends for it. Even though like coming eighth in an XCR isn't normally something to celebrate, but last week was just outrageous. Those numbers, the people in the sub thirty, what a what a brilliant race that was. Yeah, we were obviously pretty pleased with that. Getting back to the night of the PBs, was that your first time doing that event? I did it a few years ago, uh, two years ago actually, and this year they've they've made it even bigger. They've got the European Cup, so you have a load of like um, Spanish, like Italian, Germans, like all sorts of 10k runners, and um, it was just just crazy. The uh, C race was running one in 29 flat. The B race was, I think, low 28s, and then the A race was well sub 28. I think like a load of them went sub 28, and that it was just absolutely outrageous. That competition. Now with Zadipek moving to Box Hill this year um, because of the resurface, uh, do you reckon we should be doing the beer tent down the back straight? Honestly, that that you should just forget all the other events. Just have about 10 10k's in a row. Just like forget, we don't want to see sprints, we don't want to see 800s, we don't see any of that nonsense. We want to see 10k after 10k, people getting drunk, having a good time. <laughs> okay, note to Glenn Turner. <laughs> You're in Tassie now because of work, and but this is your first sort of one of these that you've done for your club, which is UTAS. Yeah, so it's um yeah it's a, it's a bit of a smaller scene than it is in Victoria, obviously, um, and a lot of ta- the best Tassie guys go over for a few races like to get proper running experience. But like you know, it's um they take me to really nice places on the Tassie scene. I'd never come to Pompville. Yeah, who who knew this was here? But like uh, yeah, it's a beautiful place to run, and I'm just annoying my terrible run today actually, to be honest. But oh well, second isn't too bad, I guess. This is actually the site of the, I think it was 2006, uh, National Cross Country was out here at Pontville. So on an unusually warm day for, for Hobart. And uh, a lot of the Queensland kids ended up in the medical tent, actually, because they were still wearing their full-length skins. Uh, but it's, uh, look, Pontville, they put on a pretty good um, event out here, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a, it's a really nice event. It's very friendly. Everyone, every, All the different clubs talk to each other. There's not really a much rivalry going on. And as uh, yeah, it's all it's all pretty friendly, pretty civilized. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. We're not saying that the Victorian scene isn't civilized, but um, but yeah, there is a good family atmosphere, isn't there? Yeah, for sure. It's just Hamish Beaumont who's uncivilized. <laughs> Don't worry, I've been sending him through photos of you out on the course today, so I'm getting some uncomplimentary comments back. <laughs> Typical. <laughs> all right, Nick, great to catch up with you here in Hobart. Yeah, cheers, Tim. <laughs> Night of the ten k's, Hamish. I think that's just you know we hear a lot about it. Yeah, Nick's done it a couple of times now. Mm. It, it's a, is there a slot in Australia? I, I think it's a very interesting proposition. Clearly, the uh, it's grown very organically. Ben Pochi's done an amazing job to grow it the way he has. Um, I tend to be of the feeling that it's not easily replicated, replicated yeah. anywhere else. Well, I suppose we've got Zadapec as the primary 10K. Yeah. We've then got Steigen as the secondary 10K. So already in Victoria, there's two meets where you've got yeah, two high Yeah, qu- two high-quality 10Ks. Yeah. And, you know, I think the Steigen, the Steigen is at some level pretty close to not of the 10Ks. Yep. It's not, 
you know, it's clearly not the same production level, party value, all that sort of stuff. But I, I think that, that Night of the Ten Ks is a pretty unique event and we shouldn't look at it as the model for everything else. I, and the, the other part about the Night of the Ten Ks that, you know, people sometimes talk about it as the, the saviour of athletics. Um, it's, people don't get prize money. It's still just a race. It's no, you know, I'd, from my understanding, you know, there's no more prize money there, there than there is at a standard Vic Milers meet. Mm. So, you know, if, you know, the, the one but of the... But that's not the perception, is it? You, no, no, you cer- certainly not. And But I, th- I think one of the massive challenges in the sport, and this is one of the overriding strategic challenges, is how do people earn a living from being an athlete? Um, and so, you know, I, I think that, you know, that works against us thinking that a night of the 10k pbs is the solution to our problem since an amazing event it it drives participation in the sport it drives performance that's great but it's unique and to think otherwise i i think is is sort of missing how it's grown and what it is all right, nice summary there, Hamish. So that wraps up our feature interview segment here for episode 22. Drug scandals, boys. So, gee, we're used to them in our sport, but swimming, gee... You wouldn't want to be involved there right now, would you? So, Shana Jack, that's the, the big topic. Obviously, it is taking over Australian media. But a lot of vagaries around this, isn't there? There's, um, you know, which we'll try and cover in this little hot topic, but uh, the whole story of Shana Jack and how it's come about and the way it's been treated, it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, it's. I think it's set up very much by the stance of Mac Horton, that I, if he hadn't done what he'd done, then this would have just been another test. But the fact Although it's a high-profile test. Yeah, it's a, certainly a high-profile test, but I think the contrast between him taking the stance against Sun Yang and then, uh, then very soon afterwards uh, the, the Jack positive being announced, even though it had actually been... Found a little Subdued. earlier. I, yeah, yeah. I, I think that that uh, that contrast was quite significant, and um, yeah, you know, Horton was put in a tough position because his his stance was not publicly explained. And my guess is that he wanted to explain it after the championships were over. Yeah. But now yeah. he's in a terrible position. That's he right. he he <laughs> can't do that now. And Swimming Australia have put him there, haven't they? Because they knew, and they didn't tell the team. So. There's some, yeah, 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 they've got some responsibility yeah, here, Jack and they would have been sitting here, you know, watching Horton, you know, the as you know, Lee Russell has said, mm. they knew, and then they're yeah. watching Horton go to town on a, a drug cheat. Well, yeah, so they Jack actually tested positive at a training camp in Australia well before yeah. um, the World Championships, and had a B sample confirmed before World Champs, so and yeah, then was sent away from the team for personal, personal reasons. So, which was uh, uh, just uh. the cover up, and, yeah. and which yeah, is worse, almost because yeah. she did announce it on social media, yeah. that it was our personal reasons, mm. and yeah. it was sort of like it was a very sad thing. Yeah, and it, it does. Seem I was very sad. I was very sorry for the girl. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, do, it does seem to be still in dispute. As to who decided 
not to yeah. not to cover the the paper today. It's yeah. uh, Wednesday today. Yeah. For whenever you're listening to this podcast, the paper today suggests there is a dispute about whether it was her decision or Swimming Australia's decision. There've been statements both ways, but um, you it's know, that, a, it's that, a mess. It's a confusing yeah, it, it's definitely mess. Definitely a mess. And and the the background to that in at some level is that the Swimming Australia agreement with ASADA gives them less leeway to announce provisional suspensions than other sports. So athletics has an agreement with ASADA where we can and do announce provisional suspensions. The classic example, and the reason at some level we shouldn't get too smart, is that uh, Jess Paris tested positive in October 2017, mm. was provisionally suspended in February 2018, and we've heard nothing since. Mm. So that's more than a year... Like that case might still be the matter might still be sub judice, which is why mm. we've not heard about it. But that's a long time to not hear anything. So you know, athletics shouldn't get too smoked. But we're not taking the high road yeah, here. Yeah. You swim, know, swimming has done a terrible job. It, it's the management of the whole thing. Sean, the drug itself. What what do we say about it? Um, it? It's a tricky one because it's it's quite common in combat sports and weightlifting and you know things that are power based sports effectively. Um, so ligandrol is a non anabolic um, steroid, so it's not it's not what you call conventional. Um, I guess the worst thing is that whenever an athlete tests positive, um, I guess the more ma- like if you if you're going to go the route of oh, I was in a supplement, you know I've I've had a tainted supplement, um, which you know athletes in every sport in Australia are told ad nauseum don't take supplements like at all if you have any concerns about risk you know there's even with batch testing and you know sort of i guess somewhat approved it's supplements. the classic if in doubt don't yeah it's even the ais and everything will tell you if you have concerns don't take anything yeah. um, because there are effectively it, it's classic asada online training 101 yeah, and it, and sort of takeaway yeah. if you're looking at a supplement if you don't know it, what it is and what's in it don't touch it if you're a high performer yeah, and, and the hard thing for her now will be that the burden of proof is that she has to forensically yeah. basically prove that the, su- the supplement she was taking um, you know, the, the last example was a, a mixed martial arts fighter in the UFC um, in the US um, he basically he got off with a three month ban um, for the, you know, the same drug um, but literally had to obtain an unopened uh, example of that supplement have it tested and you know, that came up again with it having an, an unlabeled, unmentioned, you know, amount of ligandrol in it. Um, it it's interesting to see that it's um, it, it's usually referred to as something that's taken orally um, in, in supplement form um, and that it binds androgen receptors with high affinity and selectivity. So w- what that would mean in English um, is that it's, it's usually a drug that's targeted at, you know, anti-aging and muscle wastage. And, you know, it's something that people use when they're very unwell in hospital, um, which is actually where... No, where debatably a number of these performance you know, enhancing drugs come from um, and it, it's weird because it hasn't cleared clinical trials in a lot of countries so it, it's not something that you would easily come by mm. you know, if, if it was a bog standard um, something steroidal um, and you had, had it in a supplement by accident and you'd taken some very shifty supplement by you know, your own course of foolishness um, then maybe there'd be a little bit more media sympathy but for something that's sort of going to be framed in that media narrative as a designer drug you know something you would very specifically take to try and avoid a positive test um, doesn't bode well um, and, and I think as a number of um, more sort of clued in sports reporters have p- pointed out yeah now, now put Swimming Australia and those athletes in a horrible position um, 
because you know the Aussie media have jumped on and said, oh, you know, today Wednesday, you know, Jack has been slammed with you know a four year, um, you know, sort of that's what the initial sentence is going to look like. Yeah, well, this but is a, a tack I want to take on it too. It is the media handling compared to the way the Australian media handled Sonia. Well, it, it's also that it's, it's it's incorrect. It's it's not. She hasn't been slammed with a four year ban. That that's the mandatory sentence for this type of positive test. If it goes right through, and that's what yeah, she gets. And, and it's yeah. still obviously got to go through WADA and FINA and yeah. you know a series of appeals and you know a whole rigmarole of things. But it, it's not as if someone has been very heavy handed with this. It's just in the WADA world. That's what she that gets. Substance yeah. equals that ban. Yep. Um, so. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. But this is the thing. Uh, are we seeing, you know, the you know the Australian media? You know, look, some are playing a really straight bat and being trying to get the facts around it. But we're also getting that subjective. You know, this is a young blonde Australian girl. It's not Sun Yang, who's smashing vials with you know with hammers. <laughs> so the, the best thing with Sun Yang is that technically, as whether you know morally, well, he's you're, right. You're a big yeah. fan of or not. He hasn't done anything wrong. Yeah. So. Yes, the hammer vial incident was bad. Was well, dramatic, dramatic. But unfortunately, those individuals that turned up at his training camp to test him didn't have the appropriate um, credentials, and that was pretty much what brought it unstuck and what turned into a fifty-nine page document that you can read online. Like the whole excerpt of it is available. Um, those tiny little things that you think, oh, that's not a big deal. That is what gets a guy like that off. Yep. Um, but are we playing favourites in this country? But I, I think our country must be embarrassed. We have to be embarrassed because think, we've had Horton take the stand uh, against Sun Yang, who, you know, there's, well, there's I, I d- think, vagaries to his story. I, I think Horton has, you know, given he's competed against him for so long. Um, and there was also a, a British athlete who did the same thing in a separate event. Uh, and, you know, there were, there were talks as to whether FINA would find them or, or you know, in, impose some sort of sanction for not taking part in what is the sort of medal ceremony. Um, I don't, it's not as bad for Horton. It's hard for Horton because now how's he going to talk about it? Because uh, the other, the other We've also got an Australian who'd, who'd missed three tests. Yeah, he's got was, a teammate that's yeah. missed three tests that he's... Yeah. Oh, so we're not squeaky clean, so it's really yeah. hard, isn't it, for us to take, you know, sort of stand on the pedestal, you know, anti-drugs, anti-drugs. Yeah. We're tainted. Well, it's, it's the hard thing with being, you know, engaging in that sort of absolutism. You know, if you're yeah. going to be super anti-doping yeah. and someone that, you know, whether it's personally or, uh, let's say, you know, work-wise in his job as a swimmer, paid by, you know, Swimming Australia, that's a problem because now you effectively, you have to take the same stance to keep your, your sort of line. You yeah. say, yeah, that's, you know, something he takes just as much issue with as a team member. Yeah, it's been interesting to see Shana Jack's own personal approach to it, and mm. it's she's very much going the poor me line. Um, there's no doubt about that, mm. and I reckon one reason for that is the you know yet again it's the influence of social media. She is a social media high profile influencer. She'd be getting a lot of uh, endorsements. Suddenly that comes crashing down. So she's got to play the poor me. She's got to, doesn't she, Hamish? It's yeah. As if, yeah. <laughs> you know, and um, you know, thousands of Chinese government employees just take their day off from calculating social credit for Uyghurs and yeah. maintaining the Great Firewall <laughs> and spend the day posting comments on her Instagram. Exactly. You know, yeah. you know Matt Horton's got... 50,000 on comments. Yeah, 150,000 on his last Instagram. And, yeah, yeah, you know, I think that's tough, but that's the life of an athlete today, that you don't get supported without having a profile and it's just part of your job. And so once it is part of your job, you've got to be savvy about how you manage it and you know these for her it's all of a sudden her career has come crashing down she's resorted to what she knows well which is what all 20 20 year olds know well which is social media so you know i don't think it's a surprise i don't think she's handled it particularly well 
but um, yeah, you know, I, that's that's how. But but would it be better sometimes? You know, when you when the spin doctors come in in crisis like this, they say one of the best things to do actually be honest about it. Don't don't try and spin it. Just get out there and say, well, okay, this is what well, happened. Take response. Take accountability. She's not doing that. Well, the hardest thing with, uh, especially with the substance she's taken. You know, if it, if it was a substance she'd ingested where it only carried a one year ban. Anyway, or, or something quite minor. Yeah, maybe you get away with saying, "Yep, you know, I desperately wanted to win. This was foolish of me, yep. etc." Um, whereas in this case, it's a four-year. Like your career is effectively done as yeah. a swimmer. Which is out of the two Olympic cycles. Well, yeah, it's about. like as a twenty-four-year-old in swimming, yeah. you're yeah. finito. Um, so there's really, I don't think, as bad as it is, in the sense that it wasn't announced very early or on time. I don't think she has another option. She's got to play the the poor me card mm. because. Yeah, you've you've got to try and convince everyone, sponsors, family, friends included, that you have no idea how it happened, and you know you're going to do everything to try and clear your name. So it will be interesting when it goes through that next level, though. And and can she, you know, as you say, she has to now prove. Yeah, she's got to prove it, it didn't happen. happen. That's yeah. the hardest thing. It's, yeah. it's not like you know, it's not like there's a jury and yeah. and, a, and a and a defense lawyer yeah. or something that's got. And to this going to only go so far legally. So yeah. you know, if if all of those avenues dry up and she's got the four year ban, yeah, she's that's, got a four -year that's ban. the worst thing. It's yeah. not as if Wada have got a pin her or anything you no. know she's she's got two positive tests and that's all they need really yeah. so and you know her public statements might be interacting with a possible defense so mm. you know i think there might be some machinations going on behind the scene with her defense she's already got a team of lawyers they might have a plan for defense that might interact with what she's saying now so you know we're not we can't be certain of that. Yeah. But, um, Another big ramification to the International Swimming League, which is set up by Konstantin Grigorishin, the um, Ukrainian. <laughs> multi it's a $20 million uh, competition they're putting in with $7 million of that going into prize money for the swimmers. Yeah. She's now out of that too. Yeah, yeah. and you know, that's, um, that's a fascinating insight into both swimming and international sport. FINA tried to kill it off. They tried to... Um, tried to sanction any swimmer who swam in the ISL and said they wouldn't qualify for the Olympics but then got canned for that. Well, yeah, $7 million in prize money, God. Yeah, <laughs> so they, they, uh, they tried to... They tried How about to you work with them rather than yeah, against yeah. them? So they, they yeah. got tripped up by a, a European Commission decision yeah. on uh, speed skating that you can't restrict athletes from that sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, you know, and it's a private competition. They can ban everyone they want, yeah. that, but FINA can't... They can't have those lifetime bans. It's a very um, that ISL model is very similar to Nitro, mm. just with more money, a lot more money. <laughs> All right, enough on swimming. Um, let's turn our focus back to athletics and drugs. Caster Semenya. Oh. Well, it's not drugs. Sorry, yeah, uh, uh, but drugs. Uh, exactly. It's uh, uh, yeah, it is drugs it, that yeah. she doesn't want to take to compete. Yeah. So news came in overnight that she will not be competing at the World Champs, Sean. Yep. So uh, the the Swiss. Federal court has, um, well, but basically what had happened was that she'd received an injunction, I believe. Hamish is probably actually far more suited as an expert to explain this, but she'd, she'd been given a, a stay, basically, and, and was able to compete for a certain period of time until the court, until the, the case went to court more formally. Um, but the problem with the Swiss Federal Court is they're sort of one above the CAS in this situation as a place of appeal, um, and they said that the appeal didn't meet basically their stringent standards of appeal and that there wasn't enough... Um, evidence for them to think that there had been enough of a, you know, procedural injustice or wrongdoing or mishandling of the case to, to keep it. Um, 
and that, yeah, she will not be eligible to compete in Doha in the 800 metres or 1500 metres or 400 for that matter. Um, you can compete the 5K if, if she wants, but has made it pretty clear that she doesn't want to and had a pretty cryptic tweet the other day that said that, you know, the first chapter of her life was done and she was on to chapter mm. two. Um, yeah, has also been through a few coaches lately as well and is currently uncoached, I believe. Um, so, yeah. All right. And so watch this space, I think. Yeah, definitely. I, the, uh, the appeal is still ongoing. It's just the injunction yeah. that, was, that was quashed. So, you know, she might regain access to those events without taking the uh, taking any drugs mm. to suppress her T levels. Mm. But that you know, the the chance of that happening in the next sixty days before Doha is yeah. very, very slim. And and it just pushes that timeline further and further ahead in the sense that you're also working with a governing body in South Africa who are quite strict on who makes teams, um, and often have very high standards. Not ones she would struggle to um, meet, but you know, at the same time, it'll be interesting to see how that rolls into Tokyo and, and whether or not she'll be able to compete in the 800. All right, no doubt an ongoing story, which we'll be covering on the podcast as it rolls out. Um, now, Sean, we've just had a few changes to some of our teams for the Victorian selections, particularly mm-hmm. the cross-country team. They've yeah, it's just highlighted earlier, it uh, can be hard when we do our trial so much earlier than the actual event. Yep. So the men's team at the moment... Looks like Summers is out, Patterson's out, and Topin White is out. Yep. And Thorpe and Potter are in, we Great. believe. So Tom Thorpe will get the big chance for the big V. I think <laughs> yep. Will's probably had it before. Uh, I think once before. Yeah, yeah Will's, so been Will's a, um, Are we going to go for number six in there or are we going to well, we'll team get, of five? We'll try and get one. We'll go back to selectors and, and have a chat and, yeah. and you know, get a decision from them um, as to who would be next in line. We certainly had a number of applicants um, at the time yeah, from well, what was a very deep state cross-country race. Exactly, so, so why not try yeah, and get we'll, a six you know, in at there? At the same time, I understand yeah. you know, it's a bit later in the in the time period, but yeah. you know, often there are people who'd love well, to go. Well, so a lot of these other states have only just announced their teams now. Yeah, so, so yeah, yeah. we may as well um, yeah. consult the selection committee and, and see if we can get a sixth six person on board. Now, on the women's side, Magda Haji Harun is out because she's concentrating more on the roads. Whit yep. Sharp is also out, yep. and that brings in Natalie Rule, who mm-hmm. was originally named. There was a bit of confusion about that one yeah. between us selectors, you being overseas. But anyway, Natalie Rule is in the team, but also Tamara Quinn or Tammy Quinn comes into the team yep. as well. Yep. So that's still a strong team with Fry Powell, Patterson Gamble, Rule and Quinn. Mm. All right, so that's a wrap there on Hot Topics and, um, yeah, some very interesting things going on in the world of swimming and athletics. Compelling competition this weekend coming Hamish, which is the Australian Half Marathon Champs on the Sunshine Coast. Second time to be conducted up there. Last year was a pretty good, successful event. Uh, this year, I think, even bigger and better. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, once again, after the three-way showdown at the Gold Coast Half, it's Sinead v. Ellie v. Lisa. But also throw in Magda Haji. Yeah, Magda in there as well. And uh, with a carrot of $25,000 on the line for anyone who can break Lisa's 69 to below half marathon record for that's performances in Australia. Yep, yep. So Diver got 68.55, I think, in Maragama in, in Japan earlier this year. So she leads the, um, the, the rankings. Yeah, yep, the three of them. Uh, but we know that all three are probably capable and I think given Lisa's run on the weekend. But the thing is, she's now run, well, she got the Park Run Australian record the previous week, then ran Sydney and got the record there. Now she's lining up one week later for mm. um, Sunshine Coast. Will that worry her? I wouldn't think so. 
she's been like the training from what I've seen at, at uni and around Princess Park has been very consistent, and we shouldn't underestimate uh, Dick Telford's capacity to get her right for the right race. All right, well, I'll throw you right under it. Who is your tip in that women's race, given the four contenders? Uh, I still think if you have to pick someone, you have to pick Sinead. Sinead just hasn't, just doesn't get beaten on the roads. But, I, yeah, I really don't know. I, I don't think... It, that's the exciting part, that, that we don't know. You know, there's some talk there's going to be a pacemaker going at 68.50... Whether that changes the race, I'm not sure. The course is a little hilly. Whether that changes... It can be a little bit subject to wind as well. Because yeah, on the coast. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, I I think it, the one thing I'd say now is that I, I think it's pretty likely the record goes down. I think it's pretty likely that more than one of them go under it. Mm. Men's race. Jack Rayner show? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I don't think... Um, once again, just doesn't get beaten on the roads. Um you know, and then it does seem, in contrast to the women, there's a bit of a gap there between him and the rest of the field. Yep. Um, so, you know, I think, uh, I don't think that record, you know, he's going to have to work pretty hard to get yeah. a 25 yeah. there. Yeah, that's a harder one, I think. Yeah. yeah. Or, sorry, not necessarily harder, but... He well, he's further, he's yeah. further from, from it. it. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I don't think it's of yeah. a greater quality than the women's yeah. run, but it's, um, yeah, he's not quite at that level yet. You yeah. know, I don't doubt that in a year or two he will be. All right, just looking at the Victorian teams once again, Lisa Waitman, Ali Pashley, Magda Harun, uh, Akana Murray-Bartlett, Tracy Austin and Victoria Scott-Sonis in her debut. That's our team for the women's half. Um, unfortunately, Diven didn't nominate, so she can still win the Australian Championship, but she won't be part of the scoring team. Uh, in the men, we've got Jack Rayner, Tim Logan, Max Uader, um, also James Coleman, Jamie Cook and Matthew Tonk. So pretty good squads, aren't they? That's very impressive. You know I I'd be shocked if either of those teams lose. Um, yeah, especially the women that you know they could be they could be the top three scoring places. So, you know, yeah, wherever quite easily. Yeah, I, I know you've got people like Mel Paniotu who's going to the World Champs. I think she's mm. running. There'll be a few reasonable Queenslanders, um, but um, you know the depth in Victoria at the moment and the fact that they want to run this race. I know there's a lot of interest. You know, uh, one of the girls I coach um, had she not got injured this was going to be a primary focus trying to get into that team they want to go there so yeah, there's yeah. something I think Sunshine Coast AA you know we we hammer them on a lot of things but I think this event and the fact that Sunshine Coast were then smart enough to move away from the National Cross this year mm. brilliant move I, I'd, I'd be quite happy if this stays on the roster for a while to come yeah I, you know I think I think there's some real strategic advantages to awarding a championship to an event for a number of years. Uh, you know, the classic example outside athletics is cycling and Ballarat. Yep. That the road ra- the road nats have been there for 15 years now and that's a, that's a cultural thing now that people just go to Ballarat to watch road nats. You know, I, I think the athletics should be thinking about that and thinking, well, okay, how can we build that culture? Exactly right. Now, Cruden Farm looms large for Athletics Victoria. So back to the uh, the Murdoch property. Yeah, beautiful place to run. Uh, always a bit of mud. Proper cross country. Yeah, and I'll, I'll slip it into the podcast. I think we're going to have two areas of messiness. So the, the traditional turn right and you can't miss the mud pit is going to be in. And we've also done a re, um, restructure of the course and the, the, what was the old double 
jump through the water that we had in, I think, the first or second year. First year. First year, I think, might be back. That's in that the bottom corner paddock? Yep, bottom corner paddock, and we know what sort of winter Melbourne's had, so there's a bit oh. of water out there, Hamish. That's what I like to see. It's, you know, we often uh, at Melbourne Uni get athletes from the Northern Hemisphere who come out here and complain that cross-country is just like track racing with a bit of dust, but no, this will be proper cross-country. It is proper. Well, what I like, you know, the beauty of Cruden, it is the paddocks, so it's like farmland running. It's got the mud pit, but it's also got the um, the four-wheel drive track as well, and it's a bit more like trail racing. So there's a few different elements in this, and and a beautiful finish right next to the you know the the stately homestead of Elizabeth Murdoch. That's it. Bring some uh, bring some afternoon tea down. Pitch the tent. Also bring spare socks and change of shoes, for uh-huh. sure. Good advice there from Tim Crosby. All right. Now, I just want to give a promo to the Australian Mountain Running Champs, which are going to be on September 14 up in Brisbane. So get on to it if you're not going to be doing road racing and you're a half-decent cross-country runner. The main reason I say that is that um, the World Championships for mountain running this year are in Villa La Agostura. Do you know where that is, Hamish? Well, I'm going to guess it's in Spain. Wrong. So keep moving across the continent. It's in South America. It's in Argentina. No, it's in Argentina. Ah. Yeah, so this year there's been some dramatic changes in the um, the management of the World Mountain Running Association uh, and they're a little bit more dynamic than they have been in the past. I've been quite a critic of the, the old-time crooked athletics uh, administrators running an association now we've got some really good people running this thing and what they've done is they've brought the world long mountains and the world classic distance mountains to the one place at the one championship Villa La Agostura is in the Patagonian region of Argentina Uh, we will be sending hopefully strong teams in both the men's and women's but for the classic distance which I think is 14k this year you have Basically, you have to do the trial up in Brisbane if you want to be considered. Now, this year it's not. Last year in Andorra was something like you know twelve hundred meter climb in ten k, which is pretty normal for an up year. This year is an up and down year, and it's not really super duper hard. There's a couple of technical sides and you know single tracks, but it's not super duper hard. If you're a pretty good cross country runner and you fancy yourself at trying something a little bit different and getting an Australian singlet, have a think about it. And the trip to Argentina is going to be an absolute corker. That's a that's a beautiful part of the world. Oh, it is, yeah. So what we what the plans initially are is that we'll fly into Santiago in Chile, and then go to a place called Portamont, which is about a, another hour and a half south of Santiago, base there for a couple of days, and then drive across the mountains to Argentina, do the event, then drive back to Portamont. So it's about a seven or eight day trip, and we're looking at costings around probably under two and a half thousand for. Airfares, accommodation, car hire, all that sort of stuff. It's not a bad trip if you want to get away for seven or eight days. And then if you want to extend the trip in South America, go for it. So so have a think about it, our uh, mountain runners and cross-country runners. If you want to get onto that team to Argentina, uh, if you're an ultra runner and you've got some good performances, uh, there will be a selection um, document, or sorry, an application document that will come out in the next couple of weeks and I'll let people know about that. So we'll be trying to build a very good squad and then go over as a team. Also, Hamish, you'll be excited to know that the the 16K is back. Exciting. Oldest race in the state. It is. And it's going to be on grand final weekend. Okay. So it'll be the Sunday of the grand final. 
Not a great date, we know. Don't start coming down heavy on us. But yeah, as a St Kilda supporter, I don't care because we're not going to be there. Um, so the Sunday morning doesn't hold any fears for me. But um, it, yet again, it's all about you know what is available, and we've got you know it's the um, the I think the next week we start Shield, don't we? So. It's, yep. the, it's the art of the possible, Tim. All right. And it's de- delightful to have a race back that's been going since 1892. Two. Yep. And where it will be? Listerfield. So back at Listerfield, it will be a 16-kilometre trail race. It's the Victorian Trail Running Championship. So medals are on offer, um, laurel reef numbers on offer, all those sort of lovely things that people like. It will be an open race of 16K, and there also will be a junior race, I think, of 8K. Uh, and that will be an under-20 race. So two races on offer, 16K and 8K. Uh, Listerfield, as I said, it's the only trail race in Listerfield Park. All right, So there's, you know, great, great location, great venue. Uh, we have the rights to the only trail race there. So it's Sunday, September the 29th, uh, but it is definitely the Sunday of Grand Final Weekend. Now, what we're doing is if you are an XCR series ticket holder and you're an under 20, um, even an, say an under 16 or an under 18 who might want to run the 8K will get a run in this if they want to, it'll be free entry. Okay, your series ticket is going to cover the trial, Victorian trial running. So you're getting an extra race this year, which is big news. Now, if you're not a series ticket holder, we'll have the normal standard pricing of 35 for a member or 45 for a non-member. So hopefully we can get a couple of hundred people out there, good trial experience, running for the Victorian Trial Running Championship and also competing in, as Hamish said, the longest running, running distance running a race in Australia. Exciting stuff. I imagine uh, the defending 16K champion will be there, Max Ueda. Well, we hope so. We hope we'll drag Maxi back. Yeah, um, he has enjoyed being the champion. Yeah. Will Nick Earl come across for it? Well, that's a very good question. He, uh, How he important is a Victorian laurel reef? Well, he does love it. Yeah. Um, he does love, just loves racing generally. So and he, and look, he likes beating Max too. Yeah, I, I think there's a bit of rivalry there. As... Um, as Steve Ovet once said, the most important thing is to beat the person wearing the same singlet as you. Mm, I like that one. Excellent. All right, so that's a, a wrap on what's coming up. So busy times as usual. Okay, Hamish, I think people have probably got sick of your voice and my voice. We lost Mr Whip there. Where did he go? Uh, Whippy's off talking big business in Collins Street. Uh, mm. he's, a, he's an important man now, Whippy. He's much too important for us. So straight into the top end of town for Whippy. Mm, that's it. Straight he didn't, to, didn't look like he, was, he wasn't suited up, though. Uh, no, Whippy doesn't need to suit up. No. Okay. So, yeah, a little bit of contractual negotiations for Mr. Whip. So we've, we've missed him for a little bit or portion of this, uh, but he did have some great input. Hamish, big thank you to you. Um, probably not the last time you're going to sit in that chair, I think. We'll, we'll have you back. I'll, uh, I'll pop in for a chat if invited. It's been delightful to be here, Tim. Thanks to Sean for the, the earlier part of that conversation. Always exciting to talk athletics. It's a good sport. And you've seen the inside now of how we put one of these together. It's uh, pretty harmless, isn't it? It rolls yeah, along. It's painless. If anyone else gets invited, come along. It's fun. Excellent. All right. Well, episode 23 will probably uh, launch in two weeks. Uh, we'll be covering... I would have loved to do one next week after the half. I reckon we're getting a bit far away from it. But anyway, I don't think we've got enough content for next week. So we'll go two weeks' time. Uh, we'll look at that half marathon champs. And also we would have had Cruden Farm and various other events. And we're looking forward to the National Cross as well. Oh, and you'll also have to recap the most exciting event of the uh, athletics year, the AVAGM tonight. Oh, the AVAGM, yes. 
It will be live streamed, by the way, but uh, by the time the podcast cuts, it's too late. You've missed it, all the excitement. So. Anyway, thanks again, Hamish. It's been a good episode once again. That's a wrap on episode number 22.